to another exciting episode of Grim Dark Tales the podcast edition. I'm joined here today by the awesome Noel. Hello awesome Eric. <laughs> um once again, uh I love love having my my talks with you. So, uh this should be fun. Today, Noel and I as as many listeners know, we are both lovers and players of the Tau Empire and uh or uh, disparate elements of that being the far side enclaves. Yeah. So we, I didn't want to be too uh, exclusive there. No, th- no th- this is fine. I mean, you 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 could you do with your own side of the greater good, and we'll know better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? Agree to disagree. Let's draw a line on that one. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we thought today we would talk about, um, we've, we've gone over quite, uh, in depth about the narrative of the Tao. And while I think we could both continue on that path for a very long time, considering that we both love the Tao so deeply, we decided we would switch gears and we would do something similar to episodes you've heard previously with Jordan, which would be the Let's Talk Tactics edition. So in this, in this episode, we'll be covering a specific element of the tau troops available to them and uh but not the troops specifically we will be dealing with the elites section of the codex so i figure we'll just go front to back here we'll start at the beginning of the elite section and we will just discuss each element of the the uh, elites in this book and talk about what we like what we don't like uh i think there's plenty of fuel there for us to both discuss so Let's just uh, let's just get into it. Yeah. And, so, uh, disclaimer now, because like uh, you know, if if anyone loses a game of forty k uh, taking taking my advice um, on tactics, then uh, it, you let yourself in for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, if you'd like to uh, reach out to us with complaints, uh, you can't. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, it's yeah. We Please you know one hundred don't give up. <laughs> Take whatever we say with a grain of salt. As much as we have played this faction, we're just human. Uh, that's all it is. We can make mistakes, you know, just like the human league. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's just uh, let's just get into it. So, the first unit in the elite section here is the Crute Shaper. Kind yes. of a weird one. Yeah. yeah yeah it is starting on a starting on a bit of a curveball really um why i, I kind of get it um i mean they are you know a separate species so yep. i kind of understand why the crew shaper isn't in a hq choice mm-hmm. at the same time i really think they're missing a trick in it you know i mean the crew while they're a bit more niche in the whole towel race and you know what the models are available it feels like ever since they got released they've been getting less and less love each edition and yeah uh, you know which is such a shame because um loads of towel players that i know and i've spoken to before they you know they, they adore the crew and i do too i don't even own any crew but I, I absolutely love them every time i see them on the board and um you know why have almost you know literally the leader of the crews in you know whatever cadre they're in um not be a hq choice right it is uh you know a lesser among equals thing you know it's i don't get it <laughs> yeah but, and, them's the breaks 
I think what's extra unfortunate about it too is it makes it, and I get I get that the crude are considered like an auxiliary attachment to the Tau, but it still makes it makes me sad that you can't just field an army of crude like legally in a you know in a detachment because they have no HQ. You you know there there really isn't much of anything you can do if you don't have HQ options. So the crew are just inherently unable to do that. I mean, I guess you could put a fireblade on there and call them a watercast diplomat or something, I don't know. But uh you know that that feels like a a forced compromise, I would say, because if you want to be able to take an army of crew, I think you should be able to. And while it's maybe only four units available to you right now i would love to see that get expanded upon well i mean but, it's um i mean even then it's like i think that's slightly more than four well not very much more but i mean four four by gw not including the four drop stuff right right but um but yeah i, I don't know maybe maybe we should you know start start this next i mean you know i mean they're, they're starting to listen gw you know they, li- they listen to the demon players and you know we're getting uh you know a ton of chaos stuff this year and you know finally my slanish demons are kind of like you know all, all looking lovely because they got new sculpts and everything yeah. you know sisters are going to get their time in the sun very soon mm-hmm. so hashtag bring back crew <laughs> yeah i think that's a worthy cause i think yeah, that's definitely make a worthy cause. yeah, yeah. make great again <laughs> make crew great again exactly yeah. I, I think they deserve it and i think the, the crew are just so cool i mean like i don't actually own any crew anymore i I had some when they literally first came out, but I've since lost those models. But I I still think the Crute are incredibly cool. And they're a very interesting force to put alongside the Tau, I think. Not because, like, Hmm. Crute are even particularly good at melee, which is what the Tau are lacking, because they're not really awesome at it. But they can at least hold up in it against, like, other light infantry, I guess. So... (laughs) I don't know. It's, you know, yeah. but that's a troop section anyway. I mean, I'm talking about yeah. crude infantry here. Yeah. Um, the problem is, it's kind of like they, they're in this really tricky place across the codex, like all, all, all crew options, just because, I mean, in the instance with the crude shaper, you know, yeah, it's an elite slot. Yeah. It's a cheap one. So it's, it could be a filler for you mm-hmm. but then you know why would you just have a crew shaper as a filler if you're not going to then back it up with other stuff and again it's like you said about the close combat i mean yeah they're supposed to bring the close combat that the tau lack however even the um you know when you're talking about something where the weapons go three up strength of four in me- melee and yep. you know and it's 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 kind of one of those there's no real ap there's no real damage punch it's there's nothing much there that kind of really screams anything other than meat shield. And, you know, I mean, for the most part, that's kind of why you feel them a little bit, kind of, you know, just to help provide that shield, that speed bump for other armies getting into your in gun line yep. or, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, it, but again, that's more the infantry side rather than the actual elites. But yeah, it, 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 there's just a whole lot lacking. I mean, for me, um, even the crew shaper, you just take a look at the abilities. You recruit units within six inches, you know, can use the shaper's leadership, and that's the leadership of seven. So he's a squad leader more than he is a uh, yeah, yeah, choice. Yeah. That's that's hardly great. And um and then obviously the there's the other command ability, which is just the the reroll rerolls of one for any crew within six, yep. which you know, could uh, clutch kind of you know bring a few more you know helpful wound rolls. But mm-hmm. when you talk about AP dash and it's like one damage a pop yeah it's it's kind of you know yeah. very little 
really offer any any commander you know wanting to just bring kind of you know a, a kind of punchy element to the list yeah which i kind of get because you know tau aren't really about that even in the you know the greater you know sense of you know how it should play but right. to not really have that kind of option or to even in a small way have you know something that's kind of there as an elite kind of side thing just to bring something that kind of just go oh okay maybe i might need to be a bit careful around this guy it's just um yeah they don't present any real threat i mean like i think i think shapers are cheap enough where if i was already choosing to invest in crew they wouldn't be out of the question because the reroll wants to hit if you're like really piling up crew infantry and you have like you know groups of mobs of many many crew and you just have a shaper sort of supporting them i think that that could be cost effective like in that context just because you're you're yeah. suddenly re-rolling ones for a lot of attacks and combat or whatever but uh-huh. at the same time you already have to have been a person that decided that you're considering it worth taking crew period a shaper's not like a shaper doesn't like make crew worth taking if you don't think that crew are worth taking i just think that a shaper offers that little tiny bit of augmentation that makes them worth taking if you are already considering taking crew yeah i don't know why they i mean at this stage i, I can imagine kind of again unless uh they you know give crew their own little mini decks or something that you know we're talking about in the net in the you know whatever happens in the next edition or the next iteration that you know it wouldn't surprise me if the crew shaper ends up just becoming the squad leader in a yeah crew kind yeah, of yeah. it's pretty much there anyway it's just i suppose yeah it's for one of a better phrase it literally is just it's it's to fill a slot <laughs> yep be its own unit yeah i mean i suppose anything has got going for it is it has got the character keyword so it'll it'll less chance of getting punched out but you know sure. at the same time with you know a six up save and a five wounds i mean it can get sniped not it would even be potentially a target because <laughs> yeah that's what i was gonna say is it worth shooting even i mean in, in a sense that keeps it protected is that it's just not a worthy target yeah it, it, it doesn't bring enough to really kind of you know warrant singling out <laughs> right exactly yeah i mean you've got a crew shaper you've got a cadre fireblade you know who you're gonna snipe <laughs> yep exactly yeah and then on top of that you know not to talk about troops too much but crew carnivores only have one attack each i just feel like uh i don't know i i feel like crew are just such an underwhelming aspect to the army right now because if you're just relying on on if you want to make an army of crew and you're relying on crew then you're just gonna have the biggest horde ever because it's like all you can really do and your infantry are still they don't have the the utility of like astra militarum because you can't give them orders and they don't have the firepower of fire warriors they don't have the durability of uh of other basic infantry because they have a six up save you know like they're they're the equivalent toughness of a cultist or something yeah it's tough it's a it's a tough call i i think it's the one attack that's the most upsetting to me about crew i feel like they should have two attacks yeah and i well i think i think they definitely should i mean i mean they are quite speedy at seven inch movement so they, they they can kind of you know swiftly outflank i suppose but i think 
where and to bring it back to the elite slot where i yep. think kind of you know certain abilities with a crew shape would be it make it more worthwhile especially for ones already people already considering crew anyway is instead of kind of you know the wisest of their kind with the leadership thing i mean you've got the re-rolls of ones to wound already i'd say ditch out the wisest of their kind element uh, i'd say adding something else which is kind of you know just uh another aura buff whereby on the charge they get the two attacks i think that would uh you know be a quite good ability because they could just you know it's just that they can sit back and when the enemy comes close if you're playing gun lines how then you can then march them up and you know hit them uh because they got the speed behind them with a seven inch move you know i don't think they should kind of you know they, they deserve anything fluff wise to bring into the rules to make it kind of you know like always hit firsts or did they can advance and charge i don't think they should really have that ability but definitely right. two attacks and charge we re-roll to wounds with the crew shaper that would make it like definitely a worthy thing to bring yeah 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 I think too it would be I there's a part of me that wishes that there were like a stratagem like maybe you know the presence of the crew shaper gives them two attacks on the charge and then like a one cp stratagem lets you reroll wounds or something in mm. the charge as well if they're near a shaper or something like that well i mean um there, there is the the hunting ground stratagem yeah yeah uh, it's a, the, the, but that's um Again, that's so uh it's 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 such a clutch um stratagem because it's um when yeah, crew hound units complete a charge until the end of that phase you can re-roll failed charge rolls for friendly other sorry, other friendly crew units. Yeah, that are nearby. That's yeah. within the, 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 I, I can't remember it's like twelve or eighteen inch bubble. Um, it's twelve, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um yeah, but you, you again you need to commit to crew shaper, crew hounds, obviously yeah. to actually do that charge, which you know is achievable for them because they're definitely the quicker bits, but it's you know, you're bringing so much for this extent of kind of you know, you it will then allow failed re-roll charges for others and it doesn't <laughs> give them the extra punch when they're in there. It's kind of like eh, yeah. you're just Oh, let's make my meat shield slightly better for one command point. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, it's, it's it's not really a. I don't. I don't. I don't correct me if I'm wrong. It's anyone who's used that stratagem ever. Um, <laughs> um, to me, it seems like a waste of a uh, print space. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I definitely haven't. I've never heard of that being used. I've never seen it being used in a bat rep or anything. But uh, yeah, I feel like this also speaks to the wider sort of thing that crew i think need all of their different options to really show off what they're capable of like clearly they're designed to like crew carnivores should be augmented by probably a shaper and crew hounds if you're going to make use of them and i think crew tox riders which we'll talk about in a second would also you know uh, all the maybe them least but at least the shaper and the hounds like augment the way that crew infantry work so i feel like if you're even deciding to take crew in any capacity it probably would behoove you to take at least a shaper and hounds alongside your carnivores that at least seems like you know the way it is as far as i'm concerned because the stratagem allows the hounds to augment the crew's ability somewhat and the shaper gives those aura buffs that make takes them up a little bit, and and both of those things I think are just logical if you're already taking crew, basically. So that's how I feel about it anyway. Yeah, no, this is true. So I've been on on saying that going to probably 
I'd say if you if you got got going to take crew and you've got the elite slots to fill obviously a shaper for fluff reasons but mm-hmm. i'd say probably one of the better options just yep. despite the fact it's i think it's still a fine cast model um yeah. is um the crew socks riders um because they look bizarre and mm-hmm. but, i mean but in a good way you know i mean they're they're, they're definitively uh crude looking and just um it fits in really well i mean i actually quite like the model um despite- i actually yeah i love the model i think that the crew talks rider is my favorite crew thing basically and and i think can't remember if we talked about this in the uh the sort of narrative tau ep- episode that we had but something to to note for people who don't know is that the crew all the different types of crute are actually like genetic descendants of the same species. So like crute hounds are a type of, basically the crute carnivores are like one type of crute hounds and crute hawks. They're all the same like species and the shapers specifically like shaped the genetic path of those disparate elements of crute. So that's why you you have this weird genetic diversity within a single species but obviously that's not like obvious to people who who don't know what's going on there so i thought that was worth mentioning i think it's really interesting and and it gives them a it gives them a very unique and again quite a quite a dark perspective in um in the 40k universe that there's yeah. just this, there are these cannibals that essentially shapeshift over you know um you know the, the course of their lives depending on you know what the uh shaper um, right kind of dictates to them <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And the, and it kind of puts into perspective, it's like, oh, that's a crew riding another crew. You know, that's not just like a beast of burden to them or something. That's like, mm. it's probably more, feels more like a, a bond of brotherhood than it does uh, a rider to their mount or something. But it's also probably something less straightforward than that and and more sort of perverse to our minds because the crew are so strange and they have these like widely accepted cannibalistic beliefs and it's it sounds super spiritual and esoteric except for the fact that it literally does affect their genetic disparity and Mm. it very specifically can change them to be like a new way based on what they the ways they sort of want to evolve um it's a, it's like a <laughs> their their species has like a, a pick your own adventure book of genetic options uh based on the way the shaper goes mm-hmm. so i think that's a really interesting aspect of them yeah um, they have taken the concept of you are what you eat faith seriously <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like that must have been like the one sentence they put up on the the drawing board when they were like coming up with the species <laughs> and they just based everything around that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but i mean the cruise doctor riders again i mean they're good well mm-hmm. as, uh, as in okay so again it's like i think that they either just should have just dropped them all together or that they, they just i don't know that someone really hates crew in general <laughs> um and in like in gw and nottingham the rules drying it's like they've just i don't know i mean they bring definitely more punches than elites lists and sure. i think not too badly priced uh you know i mean they're slightly more expensive than a shaper but it's what they it's what they bring essentially is kind of again it's how do you utilize that in 
a standard Tau army. I mean, they've got the, their guns do have like a decent range. I mean, yep. I think their their crew guns like forty eight inches. Yeah, you know, it's got the same stats as a missile pod. Um, so you know, so again, that's really really cool with strength seven, D three damage. So it's got a little bit of an AP on it. Um, but again, it can't be augmented because they don't have uh, signature systems or you know anything anything extra to kind of you know help buff that. Right. Um, but um, they go and make it rapid fire one, so they give this thing kind of like you know a really quite punchy gun that has, if anything, better range than um, Tau missile pods, which are yep. thirty. I mean, they're thirty six inches, so it's got you know it's definitely got a reach on it. Sure. But, yep. You know, just just doesn't have. I mean, with the rapid fire, then you're going to be minus one to hit if you advance. Granted, it's got a really good advance because it's just a straight up six inch. But you know, it's again, I you kind of it's that minus minus to hit. It's almost it should do one thing or another, but it yeah. isn't either particularly great. <laughs> yep. um although it does actually give the punch that it's needed um that, that is actually kind of lacking in town i think it has if you take it on mass if you're going to go creep meat shield mm-hmm. and you're going to run a you know a fairly sizable squad of them up um or you know several squads you know i mean because i think they you can yeah no it's like up to units of three uh yeah. So 34 points each, you know, it's about the same price as a stealth suit squad. You know, by the time you feel three of them, they do have better range guns. And, you know, despite the fact they say it's hor- terrible, they do have four wounds. They yeah, are- and they're tough to survive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, and with two attacks hitting a strength six and doing two damage a pop, you know, yeah, I mean, against your terminator equivalents or anything with a, a decent invuln um that you're going to struggle um but at the same time you know you could maybe pop a little bit out of uh, kind of like marine equivalents uh you know hopefully kind of you know those twos and ones or you know anything with a four up say any elder you know you can you can you know pretty much suitably kind of you know do a fair bit of damage in close combat but yeah again it's kind of it doesn't do it quite well enough you think kind of you know with those big crew socks first as it lumbers up it might have at least ap minus one i know uh, yeah uh and i think that would be probably all the difference it needs uh especially at two damage a pop if they got two attacks you know while their weapon skill wasn't may you know it's, it's, it's a three up so it's good for a, you know it's, like standard for a lot of armies but at least then you can suitably in this current day and age of 40k you could kind of you know reliably maybe kind of you know, take a few primaris marines out so i mean you know, I, I, I think again just a subtle tweak with that and you'd probably be looking at a pretty good elite's choice it has a bit it has a bit of versatility there um but again it's like many town things it needs to be taken as a whole and uh, you need to be fully committing to lots of other bits of almost like taking like half your army as crew in order to kind of really maximize the potential of just this one good elite slot that they have yep yeah mm-hmm. that's that's how i feel too i mean i was just as you were talking i was picturing someone maybe putting like 300 points into their Crute or something and doing a weird little blob of like nine crew talks with a shaper nearby just to give them the reroll one to wound and mm. just sort of like being this weird like primaris marine punching thing from you know from a distance it's an interesting idea i mean like 
it would take a bit to like chew through that many wounds at that high a toughness, even with their six up save. But it's, yeah. I don't know, maybe that's worth 300 points. I, it, it's hard for me to tell. I mean, that doesn't seem super impressive, but it does seem interesting at least. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I think kind of, um, it would, it would catch a few people unawares because, you yeah. know, everyone- and everyone has kind of you know got used to tower at this point uh so to take a little bob of crew and they'd be thinking yeah they're you know whatever it's meat operation meat shield um right. but then they kind of maybe just rush up some crew tox riders and kind of go surprise and you know <laughs> <laughs> um basically smack them you know do, do a bit of smacking face and um you know that might you know potentially you know maybe put a little dink in the your opponent's um you know fit uh, lines and you know yeah. allow to kind of you know basically form a wedge from there to kind of you know punch in with a bit more uh gun but on saying that it's again it's one of those things i mean where you've got 34 points for uh, a single crew tox yeah. um you know you've also then got uh, you know, you treat choices and other options and you're kind of thinking, well, technically they're kind of better. Yeah. <laughs> you mean, yeah, those guns are good. Yeah, they are packing kind of essentially a long range missile missile pod, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think they have the survivability to really not get just deleted off the field before they can kind of make it in there. And when you've got those kind of points and a 2000, well, in whatever points you're playing, you know, unless you're fully committing to the crew ideal and you're going to be the fluff bunny, which, you know, I fully respect, yep. you know, you, you're going to put those points into another squad of fire warriors or breaches or, you know, right. Um, right. even pathfinders just to kind of, you know, maximize out your, um, you, you know, your mark liabilities and the rest of your army, because uh, yeah. there's just more to do that. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like the crew just don't have that inherent synergy of the rest of the Tau, because the mm. fact that crew talks riders, you know, their gun is okay. They have a four-up ballistic skill, which is the same as other Tau, but they cannot be augmented by marker lights, like, in the same... You, you just can't, like, make use of... of things in the same way as you can with other tau stuff so it's just at its very best the gun is sort of just being taken at face value whereas with tau stuff they're in the rest of the army you can you're you're you can't just look at that one profile you have to think about like well tau synergize so immensely that you have to think about like the whole thing you have to think about how they all interact and i think that really contributes to how powerful they are which is like sort of a a difficult uh thing to quantify in points Mm -hmm. um whereas like the crew they're just straightforward it's like you're kind of just seeing what they can do on the page and Mm -hmm. that's that's that and i think that that you know it's unfortunate because i would say not every army synergizes the way that the the Tau do in general so you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect to have to think about that the same way with like a tactical marine or something but yeah. you know with with the rest of the Tau, they operate together so well that if you're taking points out of the general synerg- synergizing aspect of your army to put it into something like a standalone little chunk like the crude i feel like you're you're not doing anything other than shooting yourself in the foot yeah um from, yeah, a, are, from a tactical perspective. Yourself, yeah, from a tactical perspective, you are. You're neutering yourself by taking by taking yeah. the crew. Um, Which is however, a horrible shame. <laughs> yeah. 
um but it is it's kind of again and it relies on the shape of just being in a better position to maybe provide an aura and it, it's it's a little tweak kind of here and there and kind of you know they they could be viable um yep. but yeah, no, as it stands i mean crucox riders yeah they can you know i mean I'm sure some uh, general out there with a much better mind than I would be able to kind of, you know, probably make them sing a bit on the tabletop. But, you sure. know, I mean, they just, uh, yeah, it's kind of where you want them really is the close combat. And the cruise riders could give that punch. But yeah. again, it's just, there's just not quite enough there to make it just viable. Yeah. yeah. It, um, and it really does come down to that. And, um, you know, I mean, again, it's like a squad of three crew socks versus uh, for the same uh, points. You're talking about a squad of stealth battle suits. And while, um, and which actually um, does lead us quite nicely as a segue onto them. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, I think, yeah, they are the next, the the next the one. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you know, why wouldn't you take the stealth, stealth battle suits? Um, right. You know, Over them. you're talking about the same um and even that's even putting um upgrading one of them to you know have a fusion blaster in mm-hmm. uh, and i think that while i haven't had the best success with them they are great at harrying um certain yes. armies you know so i mean stealth battle suits you know you can basically pop them right in someone's back line and you know with that minus one to hit you keep them in cover as well and you know they can really be a pain in some armies uh, behinds i mean guard for example Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, minus one to hit. Any minus one minuses to hit for guard, they're going to suffer a bit, um, yeah. and they really have to devote a lot of firepower. And then when you're talking about the extra toughness, opposed to the strength three gun, plus then they got the three up arm save that turns into a two up. You know, um, it, you're talking about a very cheap unit that's very hard to delete and is kind of up in their grill a bit. So by playing it quite cannily you can really kind of like uh just use them as a distraction unit so it's a very good effect i think yeah no i think i think celsius i similarly to you i haven't had like amazing luck with them but i do think that stealth suits are a good unit to take and they're certainly just as like the next thing in the book, a prime example of how taking Tau is just more efficient than taking crew. Yeah, I mean, the utility is far superior. Um, yeah. As you would kind of expect, and I don't begrudge that, but, um, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's just like, poor old crew, but, I know. you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, for me, myself, it's, I remember from Seventh, I've always kind of, you know, run at least two squads um, of stealth battle suits along with kind of, you know, uh, by the ghost kills. Yep. And um, I, I, again, they've provided a really good support unit for me. And I think that's really their bag, you know, with stealth suits. They um, you use them to harry, and, but not really to be your, you know, that punchy unit that will kind right. of really do anything other than just uh, cause the distraction. I think it's, it, you know, they, they're very good at uh, disrupting um like enemy lines causing a bit of a nuisance and you know just yeah distracting kind of a player away from kind of you know maybe where you're really going to put the rest of your driving force through to smack into your enemy um what about yourself i mean what have you um how have you how have you found playing so yeah it's interesting that you brought up that sort of organization of taking them because i do my army is the exact same thing it's two 
squads of stealth suits and uh, ghost kill. And that sort of forward detachment exists almost exclusively as a distraction. They can soak up weird amounts of damage uh, if you're getting average to above average luck. They can, they're just so hard to displace sometimes for being three infantry models you know that with the minus one to hit built in and their minus one to hit is better than a ghost kills even though the ghost kill can get two uh minus two to hit you know the the self suits always have the minus one including in combat so when you combine that with you know their toughness four they have two wounds and a three up save like you said it becomes two up in cover that's actually a very hard unit to displace and you have to devote more than, generally speaking, more than just small arms fire to take care of it. So, you know, the obvious choice, I think, is to try to kill them with massed uh, small arms fire because they'll be, like, in range of things before the rest of your army is. And there's so few models, the enemy just thinks, oh, well, I don't have much else to shoot my, you know, 80 las guns at, so I might as well. But they'll probably be surprised at how little damage they end up doing i mean for i mean for people like guard or even orcs for a lot of the time you're kind of you know you're relying on if they're in cover where they should be you're relying on basically your enemy role you know you're relying on the tower player rolling ones basically right Uh, what i love about this edition is um that they are two wounds a piece as well so i know so i mean so so i mean yeah to to just delete that squad of three um assuming that they don't then take a uh, drone to um, provide extra ablatives, um, then you are talking about kind of, you know, you're actually having to put a severe amount of firepower in there. If you're minus yeah. the hit, um, you're wounding on fives, then you're, you're saving like a boss on twos. I mean, you have to, ro- you have to be quite bad with uh, rolling to, um, you know, um, very swiftly delete that unit. And one thing I've always found quite, um, and I've only done it a couple of times, and it does amuse me quite silly um, sometimes. And again, it's just it's it's it's, a, it's kind of a situational thing because it involves, and I don't know many people who actually put support systems on their stealth suits. But yeah, the fact that you can actually do that, um, they could take a single item, and if you want to make them complete ninjas, you just put a sh- uh, put a shield generator on each of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So basically, that squad of three is then on a two up in cover, and then it's got a four up invuln as well. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's crazy. Um, I was actually going to ask you if you if you ever put support systems on them, um, um, because I usually run them bare bones, but sometimes I think about maybe running them with uh, advanced targeting system and getting their burst cannons up to AP minus one, and suddenly they're like actually kind of a substantial threat to Mm. armored infantry and stuff yeah um i've done that before um it's only been the last couple of games where i've played against guard and i've also worked well against orcs Mm -hmm. uh, who kind of on a t-shirt save anyway so yeah yeah. uh that ap minus one you're just instantly deleting stuff you know on a guard player mostly kind of you know they they need to roll a six uh sometimes i think kind of you know some some of their units have like you know a four up save but for the most part you guards more the flak armor you know you're saving on sixes then so you're pretty much talking about whatever you're hitting you're just deleting kind of you know at least four um you know um and you can reliably and again it just 
adds to their their utility, which is to harass. And yeah, so one trick I've done is um, advanced targeting systems on that. Never bother putting it on the fusion suit because at AP minus four, you just don't need to bother. Yeah. Um, but what I will do sometimes is, um, and again, it's it's a bit chancy because it is a four up involve. Um, but yeah. I will sometimes put the shield generator on the fusion one. So, um, you know, as long as I'm not taking wounds or, you know, someone trying to delete me instantly with kind of, you know, the big stuff, if someone does, then I can maybe choose to put it on the fusion suit and get that four up involve. Uh, okay. If someone does have the, you know, the big AP minus four or the AP minus three gun. So at least then kind of, it, it, it's, you know, again, it's one of those things. It's um, sometimes you can take an order amount if you're rolling well, just to chew through the unit. So I found that really good. Uh, another nice little trick I've always found really nice, again, in this edition with um, just the way deployment works, mm -hmm. is um, especially if you're doing the, well, I mean, I know it depends on which mission, because obviously sometimes now it's like the, the whole army deploys and then your enemy does and vice versa. With When you're actually deploying them, because you don't actually, with the infantry's rule, a load of people, um, especially from previous editions, they put they still play their infantry's last. From what I understand, you don't actually have to worry about that. It's right, not, yeah. So an infiltrator, you can just deploy at any point. It's just whatever you do, you obviously you have to not put it in your enemy's deployment zone. It has to be more than 12 inches away from enemy unit. Right. Um, if, for example, you know, you're playing against a horde army like uh, Nids or Guard or Orcs, mm. uh, then if you manage to get to deploy that unit first before your enemy, obviously with the deployment rules, um, so you set it up literally in cover, if it's, you know, somewhere, you know, pretty much right slap bang on the 12-inch line, um, you know, with your, um, on your opponent's, like, you know, um, deployment zone, mm -hmm. then... All of a sudden, then by the rules of deployment, they can't actually be um, put any of their army within nine inches of that unit. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So by playing it, I mean, it, it is it is a bit of a challenge because, I mean, obviously, if you don't get first turn, then they're going to get shot off the board mm -hmm. or chucked and monstered in combat. I mean, you know, they can survive, hopefully, but... Um, you are essentially throwing 90 points away, but you could potentially really upset your enemy's deployment, which yeah. um, I've done before um, to, to, to fantastic, laughable effect. Um, mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden, kind of, you know, there's this, um, you know, in the enemy's deployment zone, they've got this almost eight, you know, 18 inch kind of semicircle radius that they can't deploy in. Right. Um, some kind of you know they're really having to squeeze their army up against you know other stuff um or they they have to then drop stuff into reserves um so kind of they can't utilize things so well and um you know you can really force your enemy's hands with regards to you know how they even start their game mm -hmm. uh, and i found that actually is probably one of the better ways to use them as well sometimes yeah uh, because um again yeah with a horde army you can just it's just you're upsetting them before the game's even started and um, and you've already got then a wedge that they have to either you know ignore that part of the table which then you can utilize and you've got the range by you know for, for the most part or you can yeah it's just you, you can it's, it's it's kind of like a mind game but it's also um you know you can use it tactically to your advantage as well yeah it's like a it's like a pre-game like cat and mouse thing you can do because not only do you 
can you impact the enemy's front line, but you can disrupt their infiltration units as well mm. um, if you deploy yours first. So, like, you can intentionally put yours in a place that makes it so that they can't put theirs in, like, an ideal spot mm. um, if you're able to put it down first anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think that gives them some added utility as well, is just, like, that infiltration ability. It's such an interesting way in the way it allows you to control the battlefield a little bit. And in, in speaking with the way that you can deploy and sort of redeploy stealth suits i was wondering what your thoughts were on the change of the wall of mirrors rule from being part of the uh incredibly powerful optimized stealth cadre in seventh edition to now being the stratagem that it is yeah um well even then um i in all honesty i'm grateful for the change um yeah don't get me wrong. I've had a couple of games um, where I've I've played the optimized self cadre um, as when you know detachment sort of thing because it gave my army more punch and because I refused to take riptide wings etc. But um, the optimized stealth cadre was in seventh supremely broken against um, um, some armies. I mean, any- it was so strong. So, so strong. I mean, when you're basically rocking so many fusions um, in your stealth suits and your ghost kills, and then you're always hitting the rear armor, you, yep. you're basically one-shotting whole tank squadrons. Uh, um, and it was, yeah, super broken. So I'm, I'm glad that it's now something different. I think that it's almost went a bit too far the other way. Uh, yeah. Um, the stratagem because for the most part now the wall of mirrors is just you can basically get a stealth suit out of dodge um but again i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because like i say with the deployment trick um where you slap your infiltrators right up in the enemy's line if you then got um you know a ghost kill within that um within that distance behind it and then you just play the stratagem, and if they're not charged for whatever reason, you can just go bink and yeah. you know, take them out. Then that could be quite a cool thing. But it, yeah. again, it involves you having to get that first turn. Yeah, um, that's kind of the crux of it. But you know, at one command point, it's if you can make it work and you can get first turn. I think it's um, like I say, it, I've, I've played it once before, and it I found it so funny because it just completely upset my opponent. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because it was like my turn, your turn, kind of, you know, it was like one of the first games on eighth I played, and right. um, I did so. I literally kind of, you know, stealth, stealth, stealth battlesuit team right up in the enemy's grill, um, in cover, you know, just outside of twelve inches uh, deployment. That's a, you know, a three inch bubble that you know that he could deploy in his line. But aside from that, as a big semicircle, he couldn't. Yeah, he deployed his unit um, as close as he could to that nine inch bubble thinking okay well if i get first time i'm going to get it but then i then had a second stealth suit squad where i then did the same thing further on his line and then he's yeah. playing basically dawn of war um dawn of war deployment so um he has you know long table edges but by placing where i did he essentially was then forced to deploy everything he had in the middle of his in, in the middle of his deployment zone so I basically right. boxed him in, um, allowing me to then completely outflank him on either side, yeah. uh, and just have and just and just for Tau just have complete ball control, and then you know again because he had a horde army, he had to just you know just 
take stuff back into you know um uh, reserves and yeah it just like i say completely upset his game and then yeah i didn't get to use the wall and mirrors trick that 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 turn uh, mm -hmm. on, uh but i think that would have been just giving me all the lols yeah uh, the icing on the cake i've upset you now and then i'm just going to play the stratagem and remove this one squad so you can't actually charge it now <laughs> uh, exactly yeah uh, and then kind of you know go in but um but yeah, no, that would have been a giggle. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's, again, because they're a battle suit. I'm yep. sorry, I'm waffling so much on this one. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, there's just, there's a lot of other things. But with support systems, I can't think of anything else that I'd really use on them. Yeah, I think um, there's a part of me that leans towards like maybe putting velocity trackers on them. Uh, just because velocity trackers are so cheap and uh, a lot of units that can do that sort of infiltrator move early in the game and therefore would be like near the stealth suits and be a tar an early target of them uh, mm -hmm. might have the fly keyword. Then, you know, suddenly your stealth suits are sort of a counter infiltration unit that hits stuff on, for the most part, on threes. Yeah, that that's interesting. You know, that's an interesting prospect. Not to mention, like, stealth suits will probably be in range of any enemy flyers as well, because without a doubt, people will be forward deploying their stealth suits. That's like how you use stealth suits. Yeah. So if the enemy is shoving a flyer up the table to try to get in your lines with something, maybe it's a flying transport, or mm -hmm. you know, just because the way flyers move, they have to get them close to you. Um, and suddenly your stealth suits are in range and they get that plus one to hit. It's yeah. like, you know, that's interesting, especially if you have fusion in there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, I would say, just because velocity trackers are so, and I haven't even done this. This is like theory crafting for me. Okay. Um, but just as a, because velocity trackers, I think it would be like six points total to like put three in the unit or something. Um, yeah. Then... You know, that's such a small amount to pay. It would be 12 points total for two units of stealth teams. I feel like that is a that's 12 points worth taking if suddenly you're hitting like enemy infiltrators on threes without marker light support or hitting enemy things with the actual yeah. supersonic keyword on fours. Yeah. Um, but you know, on top of that, even with um, one marker light token on, then you're then hitting on threes or fours re-rolling the ones exactly uh yeah. so then it's just yeah it's like even even punchier i never thought of it that way actually especially considering it's uh, a nice utilization to chuck a fusion uh, blaster on as well so exactly um yeah. it really limits where i suppose the enemy you know flies can go um as yeah. it were so um you can kind of almost force them to um you know land in certain pockets to then right you know, yeah so that could be could be quite tactically played um, yeah i think so and then and then you know not just uh f like tr dedicated flyers that are like super fast but things like uh eldar jet bikes and stuff th those move so fast that they'll probably be the first things that are in range of those units and those units have the fly keyword so you're getting that plus one to hit against those as well um and you know at that point burst cannons can actually do some damage to a unit of eldar you know windrunners or whatever they're called now mm. um so i just you know again i haven't played it i just think that that seems like a very interesting 
idea and it could actually be super worthwhile just spending the 12 points for your whole two hmm. squads of stealth teams because then you're like if even if you're not if, if you don't get to use it you're still creating a situation where the enemy is much more trepidatious about approaching you yeah. and it can completely change the way that they move towards you which could be like a compromised advance yeah um so yeah, you know. it gives them more to think about, especially if it's um, up in the grill. It kind of almost forces them to have to tackle those stealth suits first. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, never thought of it that way. I'm gonna have to. I have to put that one to the test in the next game. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I I want to do it too. Uh, it it seems like an interesting idea to me. I only just came up with it like a few days ago. I was just thinking about it, but yeah. um. So I'm still stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll have to see what I'll have to see how that goes. So, yeah, I mean, I think stealth suits, we've gone over what makes them strong. They're a little less flexible of a unit as far as, like, loadouts go than the next one. Yeah. Um, so but I feel like maybe we've... More flexible than the next one. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, like, all of 40K. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, they are so... this army knife unit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think we can... I think we've covered solid suits pretty well. Um, I guess we didn't talk about the homing beacon. Have you ever used that? Once. Waste of time. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was feeling too. I've never done it, but it, yeah. it for the, gave for the impression. Points, yeah, for the points. I mean, don't get me wrong, in like um, older editions where Deep Strike was so patchy um, and it was really kind of, you know, a very high risk uh, versus rewards um, system to yeah. play. Um, homing beacons definitely all the way. Um, but really in this edition where um, deep striking is so much more um, robust and, you know, it's not so much of a uh, gamble, I just don't see why you would ever put that much points onto a stealth suit. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, take that with, especially when um, if your enemy get close anyway, which they're quite likely to, the the, 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 the actual thing was destroyed as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just can't see the point of um, burning that burning that amount of points on it. Yeah, it definitely defeats the the mobile aspect of the unit. Mm. Um, with you know the whole idea that stealth suits are, or that battle suits in general are designed to be these incredibly mobile gun platforms. Uh, yeah. it kind of you know crushes that a bit when you're mm. just sitting on a thing that will get destroyed if the enemy moves near it because you're the stealth suit. You have to assume from a narrative perspective, this is at least how I see it, that the stealth suits are like constantly displacing. They yeah. fire, they displace, they fire, they displace. They're they're never staying in one place. Yeah, they are, um, they are the gorillas of the, uh, you know, the, the Tau army, really. Yeah, I just wanted to cover that. But we can move on now to, um, this will probably be the majority of what we talk about today. <laughs> this is a huge unit. I mean, the, this is everything for the Tau. It, it, it's... Uh, such an iconic and definitive aspect of how they fight in general, but uh, it's the crisis suit, XV8 crisis battle suits. Yeah. Okay, so the crisis suit, they can basically do everything. Uh, short of being a close combat unit, I think the crisis suit really is probably the most flexible unit in the entire game of Warhammer as far as the way you can load them out and the fact that whatever you put uh, on them, you're putting it on an incredibly mobile, uh, pretty durable uh, chassis. There's just there's so that that in itself is such an incredible 
like redundancy of of efficiency i think you know you're not you're not just taking a unit of devastator marines and putting big guns on them you're taking something that's already highly durable highly mobile uh nearly impossible to pin down and then you're putting whatever you want on it yeah um, just uh, they have they have the answer for kind of everything you want um you know i mean it's I'm, yeah, they are just literally the answer to everything you want. It's just like, so you're, you're going off against hordes. Uh, so, yeah, burst cannons, uh, plasmas, and, you know, um, you know, for slightly chunkier things, and 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 flamers, kind of, yeah. for the win, really. Um, if you, you know, you, you're taking more kind of marine or kind of, you know, um, more, more heavy or, you know, even, uh, you know, there's a lot of anti-armor, the, it's fusion blasters and again plasma for days and you can yeah. just really harass and chip away um pretty much everything um, yeah. and that's before you've even added the support systems uh, and again just to kind of augment whatever you whatever kind of battlefield role you need them to fill they yeah. they, they can literally be your answer um, <laughs> And I, I mean, I absolutely love them for it. Um, they're such an iconic unit as well, look-wise. Yep. Um, and especially now with the newer sculpts, uh, which we got the tail end of seventh. Mm. Um, you know, they just they, they look beautiful. Um, and I don't know, yeah, they they literally do have. I mean, there's nothing I would change about them, especially now that their points are more reflective because they were they, they were a smidge overcosted. Yeah. Um, but you know, since the points drop, they are you know back to being for what I consider in the Tau army a, a, a complete auto include. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, if you, for me, and obviously I'm a gold soft spot because you know I'm I've always been a far side player. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, it's just like for me, if you're not taking crisis suits in the Tau army, you're you're you're, you're towering wrong. Yeah. <laughs> You've already messed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was your um, mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we I think we talked about them, the crisis suit, uh, actually quite a bit in the other video, the other podcast. But um, I think it's definitely worth covering again because they're just such a focal point of the Tau's sort of adaptability in combat. Um, I will say first and foremost, for anyone who's thinking about playing Tau from a competitive standpoint, I would get like at least nine crisis suits and I would magnetize every single one of them. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, just because, I mean, why limit yourself uh, to like one loadout? Right. Uh, I mean, if you if you know that you're only playing one type of army, mm -hmm. then even still you're doing it wrong because uh, you know it's just you know we're we're talking about you know things change all the time in this game. Uh, yeah. You know the meta shift, so you know to be able to have and use that versatility that the army brings, it's just like you know I mean yeah why wouldn't you um, right. obviously some people magnetize all four hard points. I've always just magnetized three. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is quite handy for me because they can only ever take three uh, hard points anyway uh, right. in this edition. Um, and I think kind of it pretty much was the same. Uh, no, I think in seventh you could potentially take four. Um, yeah, I think you could take like one support system and up to th three guns or something. It was a little more streamlined. Now you can just do anything on all three. 
Yeah, um, but, it, but it is only three. But half. it is only three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, you know, I think I think that's more than enough because otherwise you're you're almost potentially putting too many points onto a single thing, which uh, you know, again, is then become counterproductive for you because yeah. they they are going to get into the thick of it. They are going to take fire, and you know, while they are pretty durable, they're not you know impervious to stuff um, of course yeah um and you kind of need to kit them out accordingly to fill that battlefield slot yeah uh, and you obviously need the support there being a town unit um you know while they will do a lot of heavy lifting for you you can never really go it alone with any specific unit exactly i think also that the tau the uh crisis suits they exemplify sort of an interesting thing about the tau which is that they're not as long range an army as you might assume, even though the fact the fact that they abhor close combat and from a gameplay perspective, you really don't want to let them get into a fight in, in close combat, they they tend to operate at like short to mid range with a lot of their firepower. And I think that that's not it's not a weakness. It's just a thing that you definitely have to keep in mind as you're playing them is that you can't just sit on the other side of the board and expect to shoot your enemy off the table. The the Tau actually, most of their units tend to get really close, um, or at least like mid-range, where that's where they operate at most effectiveness, and especially with things like crisis suits. Yeah, um, um, yeah, completely. I mean, unless you're, um, you know, slapping missile pods on, which have the range, um, yeah and even then i'd say i'd argue that's possibly not the most effective use although i do like to take them as uh you know almost like an alternative alternative to missile sides because mm-hmm. uh, while they don't necessarily have the same amount of gun as a a, a missile broadside would have um, they do have the movement and versatility there yeah exactly uh, provide a really good fire base um that's you know pr- again can jump around and move around a little bit uh you know just provide that supporting fire where you need it yep and if we're going to talk about favorite loadouts too um you kind of just touched on mine there my my go-to loadout for battle suits especially since the recent most recent points drops for them is mm. uh two missile pods and uh advanced targeting system um yeah i just take a unit of three that have you know two two and one each so um that unit now costs far less than it used to because i think missile pods used to be like 24 30 points a piece and they've gone down to like 12 or something yeah it's far better it's 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 far better now uh yeah yeah, i think i can't remember exactly i think talking about I want to say fifteen points, but either way, it's like they—they they, they pretty much almost halved the cost, the, the cost for the weapon, and right. uh, you know, and it's just made it almost like an. Why, why wouldn't you take a squad of them? Uh, <laughs> right. um, and again, I—I I find that um, depending on the weapons and I pick will ultimately depend on um, the, the 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 support systems too. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, with missile pods, ATSs um always the way forward um yeah. in that, that you know when you're talking about minus one then all of a sudden it's ap minus two d3 damage you're talking about a very punchy unit um exactly 36 can reliably chuck out um a fair amount of shots and you know cause a lot of damage and you know upset yeah absolutely um that so that's like my preferred 
I just the way that I play Tau, I I love that they have something approaching the firepower of a unit of missile sides, but they have so much more mobility mm. uh, and, and therefore flexibility as a unit as well. Um, mm. I just really, and also the fact that they can't take any rail weaponry, you know, it allows me to devote my broadsides to that technology since it only exists for them. And mm. then to put the missile pods on the crisis suit specifically. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my favorite that's just like my preferred loadout um as far as like if i'm making a take all comers list yeah. um but uh what what's uh one of your favorite loadouts um again i think this harks back to me playing um but my play, playing my towers farsight a lot so i mean yeah. for me, um i always tend to drop them in and get a little bit uh chancy with them um so for me, one of my favorite loadouts has always been, um, I think every time without fail that I've taken a squad of XV8s, I've had one squad at least with dual fusion. Uh, yeah. And what I've tended to do with um, that unit is either equip them with the third point as a shield generator, mm-hmm. uh, um, or I've then gone and slapped them on with, um, uh, it's the multi-track or the target lock. Um, it's the um target lock that's the, the one. one that lets you move and fire without penalty um yeah because it's an, it, it's an assault weapon anyway um yeah. but um by giving them the opportunity to advance and then fire without penalty as well um you're allowed to really be extra mobile mm-hmm. um and then it's so yeah i mean with that unit as well um I always, I always, I always take them with as many gun drones as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and that Shastra in that unit will always have a drone control. So I kind of, you know, that will be one unit that I always, pretty much, always take um, with that loadout specifically. Yeah, because um, I just find it a great use of the, you know, the bomb ethic of, um, you know, crisis suits. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's by by having either the shield generators there um, to basically take the punch of some stuff, it gives it extra ablative, um, yep. and you know, a bit more redundancy at five points. The the the, 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 the like I said, the target lock kind of gives them that extra movement. Um, yep. You know, and again, allows your fusions to fire more um, readily, even though they've advanced. Um, and again, it's also one of those things with the um, with, with with taking the um, gun drones as well. And I'll always take them as gun drones. Um, you just you, you're marrying off that high strength, low a, um, high AP, uh, you know, D six damage with yep. a, a good rate of strength five shots, which also, I mean, you can just you're providing quality of fire with quantity then. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's it's kind of one of those. Um, and I know people always kind of tend to, you know, debate about maybe, you know, what size squad of gun drones you take with any kind of, you know, um, unit suits. For mm-hmm. me, four is the sweet spot um, because they don't have to worry about leadership then um, pretty much ever. And then on top of that as well, yeah, it just provides enough ablative wounds that you can kind of chop and change on what you put things on. But also then, yeah, like I say, I mean, when you're talking about one gun drone being able to pump out four shots, uh, 18 inch at the closest unit, 
then you know times that by four you're looking at maths 16 16, <laughs> 16 which is, yeah. yeah which i think i think i think is a healthy amount to uh you know just really whittle uh some things down before yeah. you just go and punch something else with fusion especially at strength five too like, at that point you're you're posing a threat to pretty much any infantry type you're wounding like the highest toughness vehicles on fives instead of sixes um you know mm-hmm. they can do pretty much the strength five is such a powerful sort of baseline strength for tau guns across the board to have mm-hmm. um the fact that their infantry have it too it's just incredible i think yeah. um it's like one of their greatest strengths, I would say, is that pulse weaponry has a baseline strength that's so high. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, like, yeah, when you when you even you're wounding kind of basic marines on, you know, three as um, you know, I mean, despite the fact there's kind of, you know, they don't have the AP there. Um in your your standard pulse weaponry. It's uh, you know, yeah, reliably wounding on threes is, you know, good. And you know, just by sheer weight of fire, um, you're gonna be taking out quite a chunk of stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I, I just, yeah, I love crisis battle suits for days. Um, I think they're just at a point now um, in 40k where I, I don't think there's anything I would really change about them. Yeah, um, they feel pretty perfect to me too. Yeah, no, they are, they are a great unit. Um, I love them for days and um, just the versatility um, and just synergy they have with everything else in the army. Uh, yep. They you know they're, they're rightly the workhorse of uh you know a good towel list and yeah um, yeah may they forever be so <laughs> yeah exactly you know they they often sort of i would say people often would compare infantry types to one another as fr- from disparate factions so like the equivalent of a fire warrior for the tau is a space marine for the for the space marines would be a tactical marine mm-hmm. um but like I think that the Tau, like from a narrative perspective, I think that the Tau consider crisis suits to be the solution to heavy infantry or mm-hmm. their their version of that. Like the, the Tau infantry are like the equivalent of like Astro Militarum infantry, but mm-hmm. crisis suits are their answer to enemy, to like space marines specifically. So I think that they really make a lot of sense when you think about them as like the Tau's answer to dealing with Astartes. They they have the mobility, they have the durability, and they have the insane weapon punch needed to combat what are, narratively speaking, you know, the galaxy's sort of greatest warriors. I think that that's what makes them so cool. They The Tau really do know how to compensate for their their you know, physical limitations as a species with this incredible technology and and even more so than maybe other races in the game. It's it's like, you know, one of their core things is that where they are weak, they will find something to make them strong. And uh, I just love that. I think it's so cool. So in that sense, I, I doubly love Crisis Suits. I love their narrative purpose as you know a way to compensate for what became an emergent threat during the damocles crusade and also the fact that crisis suits are just never without use in a game of 40k they're always useful it's just so awesome to take them and there's always been uh, a thing in my brain where i've wanted to kit out a unit with just three flamers on each 
and uh, <laughs> like go to town, you know, repelling walls of uh, hormigons and stuff like that. Like, I think that would be really fun to watch them just try to chew through orcs and stuff like that. You know, some some sort of scenario where there's like a surrounded small group of of uh, crisis suit uh, pilots that are just completely out outnumbered and are just mo- blasting everything with flame hoping they can survive that's really yeah, cool to me yeah the final stand as it were yeah like, exactly yeah no that would be awesome it's uh again i think it's kind of going back to the narrative kind of side of things but there's a there's been a, a an element like that um in the fluff of uh, the far sight enclaves anyway mm. Um, when they tried to rescue uh, one of the planets that was being overrun by Nids, Ovesa was kind of, you know, there trying to find this uh, magical thing that would just basically kind of, you know, poison uh, and kind of, you know, just the the high fleet by kind of almost corrupting the planet. They right. kind of suck it up and eventually it's kind of, they, it, it goes uh, and, and it happens and it's a success. But it does literally rely on Farsight and the Eight doing this final stand as wave and wave of kind of, um, uh, you know, nids are basically trying to attack this, uh, um, you know, scientific base. Um, while and they're protecting them while um you know a few uh of the earth cast engineers are trying to come up with this magical last ditch scenario uh so kind of you know and you know eventually goes off with success but you know they do actually um the earth cast scientists kind of sacrifice themselves in order to do so but kind of you know um it's been at such a great expense but you know again you know it happens viral agents released and you know the um almost it, it kind of you know the uh, poisons the walls of holes it were yeah yeah <laughs> um, awesome. but it is yeah great it's a, it's a great bit of fluff but yeah no something like that would be great to see yeah um, on the table yeah, it'd yeah. Be so cool. mm. do you have anything else about uh crisis suits you want to touch on um let me count the ways how i love them so <laughs> <laughs> oh uh no. one question i do have um, do you ever run uh the iridium uh commander or do you ever put iridium armor on one of them uh yes i never put iridium on standard um but um suits but a uh, commander with iridium i will quite happily take and do so regularly um there was uh, there's an opponent of mine darren Gwynn, and um he learned to in seventh very much hate uh one of my standard commanders uh so much so i dubbed him commander tangy <laughs> uh, because I would literally put him one commander with iridium. I would put him with a shield generator. I would attach him with a couple of shield drones, um, and you know, kit him out with something to just basically just drop him in with um, supporting uh, my fusion suits, and he would just go in there and just you know, um, basically have a laugh. And yep. uh, he would he would pour so much fire elder weaponry into it, and he'd just shuck it off. Uh, and um yeah frustrated him no end to the point where anytime he was on the field uh he'd just make a beeline for him yeah try and kill him um so i could just play end up play trying to play him very tactically um just to kind of you know make it work in my favor which i think yeah. it, in turn ended up frustrating him even more um so yeah it was funny um but yeah no um i love the iridium um i'm not sure i'd ever take it on just standard suits though yeah yeah i i I can definitely get behind that. And I think this gets away from elites talk a little bit, but 
I always struggle to know what I want to do between taking an Enforcer battle suit and an Iridium crisis battle suit. Because in a perfect world, I would just pay extra points and I would take an Enforcer suit with Iridium armor and get that extra wound and the two-up save. Because I feel like I want my commander to be as robust as possible. But um, yeah, it's not an option. Um, I've never taken them on crisis, like standard crisis suits, like you said. Um, I... I'm not opposed to it. I feel like there might be times where that is mm. worth considering. And I've always really liked the idea of Iridium armor, like just the narrative idea of it, I think is super cool. Um, but it's, uh, it's I, I think the reason is, is I think you'll never see anyone particularly take it, despite the fact that, I don't know, I just, I just can't find it. Because, I mean, yes, it's plus one to the save. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of minus one, minus two, minus three in the game. Yeah, um, and I just think that while it works on a commander, because um, I mean, you know, for example, with snipers, example, um, you know, on a commander, if you've got a two up save, you know, unless your opponent's rolling a six for mortal wounds on a sniper shot, then you know they have to get past a two up save. So it kind of is worth it for that for the character yeah. word. Um, but for just a standard crisis suit, and because it's only one in three that can do that as well, it's yeah, for one model in every three, uh, just I just don't see it really being beneficial, yeah. Uh, not for just, just I mean, they got they got so much versatility anyway for that 10 points, it's just you know, chuck another drone on, yeah, totally agree. I think, um, especially with the way you run them too, with gun drones backing up anti-armor it's like you just want to throw more gun drones on there um and you can you know you can provide them with that frontline defense against whatever unit is making their way to them while their you know their their guns are busy melting a tank or something yeah um it's um it's quite good because you can play it cannily as well because obviously once you've deployed them and deep you know put them in a mantis strike and then obviously you've put them three inches away so they almost um, the gun drones will almost form a wall for yep. you um for your if your crisis suits and then on top of that then if you know that the next time the enemy is going to come through then you drop them a bit further back so again you know just providing that cord and and you know you can you can play it quite cleverly and hopefully you know then keep them out of consolidation range for example when your drones instantly get mashed if you are charged for any reason um again just gives them that extra little get out of jail free card yeah which is quite nice and the other tactic i like which actually brings us nicely onto the bodyguards one Mm -hmm. yeah i tend not to bring bodyguards i know there's not much cost in between crisis suits and the bodyguards equivalent but one thing i actually really like about it is when you take bodyguards instead of your standard crisis suits and they've got they've got the swarm protector role uh rule sorry um so obviously it's almost you get to daisy chain ablatives mm-hmm. um, so one thing i like is um i mean for example you can t- you have a commander you have a squad of bodyguards you then you have the you know your drones um uh, mm-hmm. them uh commander takes the hit whether it's a sniper one or whatever you roll a two up bodyguards take the hit bodyguard right. takes it roll two up pass back onto the drone <laughs> um uh so really it's kind of uh it's 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 quite amusing in that respect yeah 
I was going to ask about that because I actually didn't know if they did stack like that, but I, I've i never looked into it before, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the way I read it is um, obviously with Savior Protocols, um, yep. it's any time the accompanying unit is within, or it doesn't have to be accompanying, any time there is a unit within three inches that takes a wound. Right. Um, and it can be any wounds, um, but except for Psychic, that's been retconned. Um, so any close, uh, any, any shooting attack basically it takes the wounds, um, it passes on. So swarm protectors, verbatim reads, roll a d6 each time a friendly set character loses a wound whilst they're within three inches of the unit. On a yeah. two up, a model from this unit can intercept that hit, lose a wound, but the unit suffers a mortal wound. Right. It basically plays exactly the same way as um, Savior Protocols. But yeah. you're then chaining it to a different thing. So it goes from Swarm Protector. So you're not playing Swarm Protector twice. Right. Save your protocols. Save your protocols is obviously roll a D6 um, each time a friendly set unit within three inches suffers a wound. Right. Uh, so obviously that would include multiple wounds. And then on a two up, you roll that dice. So the way I see it, rules is written, you can pretty much daisy chain those um those 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 kind of um, ablative wounds. So yeah, can, no, I think you're right. You you can mark them down. So kind of you know go from commander to bodyguard to to drone, um, and then you know or either that or you know you can tank it on a crisis bodyguard instead. Uh, yeah. You know you've got three wounds each. Um, so you know they're pretty good for that. Um, and then on top of that, it's just a case of um, little things like depending on how you equip them. If you've got, uh, you know, a few shield generators in there, yeah. then you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of like marking it down and then bang, you know, goes on something with a shield generator. Like even like, for example, if you were to take a shield drone uh, yeah. with a crisis bodyguard suit, then yeah, to, you know, chain it down to the shield drone. And then... Yeah. Uh, regardless um you know even with a mortal wound for a shooting attack kind of you know then it goes to the drone and then i, I think a five up the the shield drone ignores the wound yeah yep they ignore <laughs> mortal wounds yep yeah so it's kind of it's uh I, i've never really put it to effect but um it's I, I think it's it'd be quite funny to see yeah and you could also <laughs> like from a sort of geometric standpoint you could do really gamey things with this because if you have a unit of crisis suits protecting another unit, uh, a commander or whatever, and then you have a unit of drones that are hiding outside of line of sight, but they're within three inches of the crisis suit unit and not within three inches of the character mm -hmm. that you wish to protect, um, it allows you to not have to expose your drones to just let them get shredded by small arms fire directly um instead of the enemy like you know the because the a smart a savvy opponent will target the drones first knowing that they're so much easier to kill if you just shoot at the drones yeah um whereas if you fire at the battle suit you have to deal with the toughness of the battle suit and then a drone can tank it anyway so like in this situation you know you could you could make it so that the drones are never even in line of sight but they're mm. still tanking the wounds. I mean, you can do that anyway with, with certain situations, but this increases the the range and the flexibility of your ability to do that. Yeah, it is very gamey, but I think kind of, um, I, I think in the right situation, I don't know any Tau player who wouldn't do it. No, oh, yeah, for sure. Especially in a competitive or tournament, anything like that. I mean, 
absolutely I, I, more power to you for thinking up something like that for sure yeah yeah it's it's kind of it's like i say I, i've never really taken it for taking them for the extra points but um because you know those extra few points it's kind of you know it's little things like more gun drones more this more but if you were to take a more elite uh list and with the bodyguards you know that would be that would be my main utility which would be just daisy chaining the uh you know any wounds that go on the on, onto the commander so yep. i think kind of you know um I suppose one utility would be uh, certain certain armies like Gene Sealer cults. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they got quite a good um, access to snipers and yes. their arms. Um, so, in that instance, kind of you know, unit, yeah, unit crisis bodyguards that could find you know really really handy in that situation. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a weird one. I think crisis bodyguards are that kind of. Um, Again, they're a spillover from older codexes and editions. Uh, yep. And kind of when you had the, um, you know, because obviously with the uh, Tau command structure, you had the chasse, oh, I'm going to, re- chasse L's, they were, which is kind of mm. like halfway between the Vrays and the O's. Right. Uh, so they were kind of like the knight equivalents. So they weren't quite a commander, but, you know, almost uh, they were on their way to become one. And now yeah. I think kind of where the bodyguard role kind of really fit. They were there as you know the uh, the honor guard, as it were, to your commander. Um, so I, again, it's one of those things. I don't see many people taking them, but uh, you know, it's. I, I think they got a use. I think so um, too. I mean, they're only three points more per model. Yeah, um, and that's a lot of utility. I think for for that. Not to. I mean, you know, they also have the leadership of the leader of a normal crisis squad so mm-hmm. um their leadership is never diminished no matter what models you remove um they have an extra attack it's basically as if you're taking a squad of the leader of the uh Frey of a yeah. crisis squad. so yeah. and then yeah so that in addition to swarm protectors i think they're definitely worth considering i also have never taken them just because i always thought well do i do I use my crisis suits as like a bodyguard or do I ever even like put them near something that they would need to be protecting? The answer currently is not really because I, I drop them in via Mantis strike usually, and they're just on their own. Um, they're, you know, they're being augmented by ranged support from like marker lights and stuff, but uh, logistically speaking, they're isolated. So I don't know if, crisis bodyguards make sense with like the way that i currently play tau but there's nothing saying i couldn't switch it up i mean they definitely for being three points more per model i think they seem pretty worth it yeah yeah i mean they're not they're not unreasonable for that in any respect for that way um but yeah i think again i'm kind of agreeing with you but again that's the way i play tau as well it's they don't really perform uh a service in my army uh right um but you know other other town players that maybe play a bit more gunline or you know just need that extra protection there um if they're gonna sit a commander back and you know and you know there are good reasons to with um you know a lot of the stratagems like command control node and um the multi-spectrum sensor suite strats uh when they just sit back and you know buff the other units then you know yeah having those protectors there does make sense yeah uh would rather bring it to the enemy and kind of you know just go Rah! <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but that's yeah that's my um probably just bad tactical decisions that i like to make when i play town <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know you play more to the flavor of your army 
than to the exact most winning strategy because you know that's what makes it fun that's what yeah. that's what gives the game flavor i would say yeah. um i just find boring too so. yeah yeah i'm too impatient <laughs> that's and i think especially as far sight enclaves that makes a lot of sense because you know they're that faction relies so heavily on not only just tons of uh, battle suits in general but also they clearly specialize in close assaults um sort of like high impact uh drop strikes that hit right in the face and break the nose of the enemy that's not the kind of that's not the same thing as a gunline army you know that's like two different things so i can see why you wouldn't want to do a gunline army from a narrative perspective as well as from the perspective of finding them boring but yeah so so that's that's crisis bodyguards the next one interest this is an interesting one Mm -hmm. uh the fire sight marksman okay so (laughs) (laughs) yeah d fire sight marksman okay i I just hmm. (laughs) they are great at cheaply filling out um the slots in a detachment in this edition i mean you're talking about very little points for a quite reliable source of marker lights. However, I think by and large, and it, it, this goes to, comes down to me playing to the fluff. Um, you get some people just go, just take fire sight marksman, just take fire sight marksman. No, I, I haven't seen anyone just do it because mm-hmm. it's quite a gamey thing to do. I just don't think it actually works particularly well either. You use them with the sniper drones. Otherwise, you've just got this marksman there just with this weird thing. And, you know, it's yes, it's chucking out a marker light slightly more reliable than, you know, um, a pathfinder or um, a, a marker drone. But it's only ballistic skill three. So it's, it's only one point ballistic skill better. And point for point, you're better off chucking in, you know, it, it pays the best part of a squad of another Pathfinder. So, you know, I mean, you've got one marker light going through a Ballistic Skill 3 versus a squad of five Pathfinders chucking five Michael Arts out at, you know, Ballistic Skill 4. You know, yeah. I, I don't understand why you would just take it on its own right. Um, mm-hmm. I understand the argument for it, but I think when you think it through to conclusion, there's just no real point. And I understand it has a stealth field, so it can add two to a saving frozen cover, but that yep. still takes it to a two up. And yeah, I, I, and again, you're just missing out on all the fun that a marksman really brings to your army, which right. is, you know, to be able to kind of, you know, have, I'd, I'd say the ideal utility for that unit is you have like two or three, and then you chuck in like, you know, a good squad of, uh, you know, three to four uh, sniper drones per marksman. So then you've got that redundancy and you could just be sniping stuff for days. And, you know, I mean, with that drone uplink rule as well that they have, yep. so you can add once the hit rolls four sniper drones in the shooting phase um, when they attack something that's visible to the firesight marksman, yep. you're providing really good um, support there. Because it's not like that um, that drone uplink um, with a plus one to hit rolls doesn't also stack with its marker light. Um, so then kind of, you know, you're, you're relying you, you basically get you know really chucking out reliable sniper shots um, yeah and i think they're underused for it um i know the reason as well is because again you know um you're talking about old metal and um uh 
resin models yeah. so they're not the best uh, they're also not the cheapest for what you get um cost wise uh not in game but just like you know your actual hard-earned cash right um so that's probably why you don't see a lot of them but i think the rules are pretty good um yeah i think there's not much i would probably change about them i think i, I think it's just the only reason why you don't see more of them is because they're just in need of an update yeah I actually I really like the the model like the look of it I like the I love the look of the sniper drones and I I totally agree that I I wouldn't t I personally would not take a fire sight marksman without sniper drones I would not just use them for the marker light mm -hmm. um, correct me if I'm wrong but just looking at this profile now mm -hmm. it looks like the the sniper drones could actually be augmented by a drone controller in addition to the drone uplink rule? Uh, ooh, that's a very good point. Hang on a minute. So, yeah. So when you deploy them, um, the Firesight Marksman and the Sniper Drones would be a different unit. Right. So a drone controller, yeah. So really, it's a, the drone controller rule is, is set drone units within six inches of a model equipped with it and one again to their hit rolls. So yeah, yep. so I mean, it does, it stacks. So, so if you had a unit nearby, let's say another sort of not mobile unit, like a broadside or something, and you gave the broadside a drone controller and you kept that near these units of sniper drones, let's say you take two squads of them, and then you also have a fire sight marksman there. Then the drones are hitting on threes. If you get the five marker lights on the target, they're hitting on twos. Yeah. Um, uh, that's very I interesting. Yeah. I mean, what I tend to do again is not just with the um, fusion uh, crisis suits, but with other crisis suits as well. My Vray tends to usually have a drone controller for the yep. gun drones. So again, yep. by having a few scattered around, um, yeah, you can reliably have drone controller support for all your drones wherever you are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, plus one for the drone uplink, plus one for the drone controller, um, you know, then, so. Yeah, and then plus one for that fifth marker light if you get it. So. Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking about, unless you've got any minuses, you can have your sniper drones hitting on twos, re-rolling ones. And, and obviously, also, <laughs> yeah, and then if they're in rapid fire range, you know, you're getting which is 24 inches on them. It's no, yeah. no slouch. Or if yeah. you take Borkon, you add six inches of their range, you know, and then you're getting actually quite a lot of sniper shots that granted yeah. they're only strength five AP minus one, but any sixes to wound become mortal wounds. So mm. I, I think that's pretty, pretty awesome actually. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's kind of like a very underutilized uh, unit. Yeah. Uh, um i think it kind of yeah I, I almost want to go rush out and buy some now <laughs> <laughs> not, not to mention you know that the fire sight marksmen are characters so you can't target them you can shoot at everything around them but the sniper drones have minus one to hit them because of the sniper drone stealth field so yeah. not nothing in that unit is particularly easy to deal with and then also you're putting out some scary character killing potential there yeah um, you've got to take the numbers but I, th I think they're affordable enough to do it in numbers um, I think so too. yeah yeah very interesting very interesting yeah uh, so i so i think kind of the take home for the day is uh if nothing else it's just like firesight marksman seriously <laughs> guys it's you know <laughs> I, I i think kind of it's one of those if you just take the one and just take a couple of sniper drones 
probably not worth it. Yep. Take a take take a good blob of them, and yep. all of a sudden you could be really messing with your opponent's characters, <laughs> uh, destroying their auras, and uh, yeah, kind of watch out. Very interesting. I like that. I uh... my my inner Machiavellian schemer is going hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Twisting the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> so okay i mean the farsight marksman is a pretty simple unit as far as like what it's capable of doing i think really we, we pretty much have covered it yeah so, i don't think there's anything to really change about it i think kind of it's if anything i think we're both uh you know pleasantly surprised by it it's yeah. just like why why the hell am i got one of these <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've always loved the unit again like you said it's just that it's such a dated model i just want them to update it and then i would <laughs> absolutely buy it it's not even a bad looking model it's just it's not plastic right uh, exactly that's all i care about <laughs> it could look exactly the same i'd be fine yeah it's it's just yeah it's just like resin and you know i, I know from just experience with the antennae stuff anyway that you know you have to contend with tower it's just like you've got to be slightly careful with them in transport but those yeah. resin no they're snapping <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a rule it's like a it's like murphy's law like the antennae will be snapped by the time you re reach your destination yeah <laughs> so okay so that's the fireside marksman uh i say we can move on to the next one which is the ghost keel another fan favorite i think uh of you and i mm -hmm. definitely uh, and it's kind of yeah for me for me just i know when um they released kind of the new stuff for you know tower and seventh edition and mm -hmm. you know, the, the first baby to come out of the box was uh storm chicken storm uh storm surge thing storm surge yep yeah which you know I, I i understand you know why people love them and everything else for me i regardless of whatever whatever happens with that unit's rules i uh, the model is just so so wrong <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah as this is i get it guys but it doesn't look like a towel suit well it does yeah. but it's not a towel suit it's you know it's not a it's not piloted as a battle suit it's you know it's got two two fire warriors just sitting up the top kind of in a little open top kind of crow's nest and it, you know it's it just looks so derpy without the arms <laughs> it's, it's like the t-rex it's kind of you know you just want to yeah. your enemy you just go up to it and you know with an imperial knight and just push the thing over <laughs> it'd be sitting Hold there like, head 209 from robocop can't get up yeah. <laughs> it's like uh you can see a knight going up to it and just putting its hand out and keeping it at arm's length <laughs> just yeah. can't do anything yeah. just, just push it to the ground it just yeah. like just like completely needs to it you don't even have to waste the ammo um, right yeah like i say just stupid 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 design uh <laughs> don't like it at all yeah um anyway that's my little rant but yeah, no. So anyway, um, and then so they teased that, and I found that the images for that storm surge kind of you know week before it was going to be released, um, and then I'm just like, I I don't like it, but will I get one because it is the new thing? Um, it's new hotness. It's only just come out, and you know it's going to be you know it's going to you know change the game and that all that kind of stuff. So I had that real kind of inner dilemma. And then, you know, just a couple of days before the release, then the teased image of uh, the, the ghost kills comes out. And I'm just yeah. like, so glad I didn't just go and throw my wallet at that. Because, you know, <laughs> um, that what the cost for one storm surge got me two ghost kills. And yeah, I couldn't be happier with that. Yep. Uh, ghost kills are so awesome. 
um just the look of them as well they're just yeah. like one of the most amazing sculpts that um that gw have put out um yeah. Just the, the look, the aesthetic, just the little nods to different units within there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, the stealth battle suits with the way that kind of, you know, uh, the, the actual helmet looks. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, the, the little kind of uh, drone control a bit on it. They're just uh, everything about it, I love. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah. They're, they look so cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, and game wise as well. I mean, we, we've touched on it before about seventh edition and the brokenness that was uh, the optimized stealth cadre. But you know, I mean, again, I think they didn't. While stealth suits, I think, kind of, you know, have still got a role. I also think that ghost kills. While everyone had to maybe get more of a handle on how they play in eighth, because mm-hmm. everyone was so to them being um so devastating with the optimized stealth cadre i think they perform an amazing role um in eight still um you know that minus two to hit um you know can really i mean basically with orcs you know you're you're, you're basically screwing their day up they're relying on the six up daka 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 guards you're basically you know it doesn't matter like all the shots it's kind of you know they're barely hitting the broad side of a barn um yeah with a minus two and you can, you know, just by keeping them back again, that just that amazing distraction unit. Uh, yeah. They're, they're incredible. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, like you said, they're not what they were in, in seventh edition, but the whole game has changed. So it's not fair hmm. to say that they're not good just because they don't perform the way they did then. So yeah. many things have changed in their function and performance since then. And it doesn't make them bad units. It just changes the landscape of the game um and i think that the ghost keel is a great example like you said of a a unit that was so powerful in seventh edition that when eighth edition hit people immediately felt cheated sort of the way that when the eighth edition eldar codex came out i remember so many players complaining about it being not as good and i was like you're just used to eldar being too good the Eldar Codex now, I think, is fantastic. It's just, uh, hmm. it's just a different, it's a different animal. And I think that the Ghost Keel is a different animal than it was in Seventh Edition. I feel like in Seventh, it was like this sort of one-man, impossible unit thing that, especially when you had stealth suits and had an optimized stealth cadre going, it was just like, yeah, impossible to deal with. Like you just couldn't kill it. Especially because it had the way that the um, Electro Warfare suite worked. You could just make it basically like invincible for a turn. It was just... And small arms fire as well. Kind of, you know, when you're talking about high toughness. Uh, yep. So, kind of, you know, yeah. I mean, certain small arms fire just wouldn't be able to really hit it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It was um, it was, it, it, it was super broken. Um, yeah. It was kind of like a halcyon day for them. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah no I I mean really I I, I still think they're an amazing place now, um, and it's kind of looking on the rules I mean I know we touched on it earlier with stealth battle suits right at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, but I'm seeing nothing in here that you know if you don't play it cannily that they don't get the plus two in combat as well it doesn't say to to just from shooting attacks. Oh maybe I missed uh, it. Yeah so I mean yeah cumulative it's just minus one to hit rolls. Uh, yeah no I think you're right. Yep. Yeah. So um, technically, it's just like I mean, obviously, you reduce that to a minus one by also charging the drones, but and right. destroying them first. But 
you know, technically it's still, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's a worthy tanky um, unit um, that, you know, even though it's never going to win huge rounds of combat because Tau, um, you know, um, you'd still be able to add a crutch, like uh, hold up a unit unless it's particularly killy. So, you know, even if it's just like, if it's just standard Marines or something, you could reliably kind of survive a turn or two. Yeah. Uh, just hold them up. You'd probably take out a couple with them. In actual fact, I remember playing um, uh, Liam once against his Blood Angel when he had a uh, Martin Wallace Blood Angels. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, in combat, just, you know, just he didn't perform hugely well, but he took out a few Marines in combat and just held him up. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, it, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, you know, if you know it's going to happen anyway, just throw the unit and just let them kind of chew through it uh, yep. a bit and just allows you to re-maneuver and kind of, you know, just come at him again from somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, a unit like... A unit like Space Marines or something, like, you can't you can't tie up a ghost kill um, because they have the fly keyword. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the beauty of so many Tau systems. But mm-hmm. in the case of the ghost kill, you know, it definitely faces the threat of being charged, but whereas with some you know shooting units like this you the goal of charging is just to tie it up Mm. uh there's just no point with the ghost kill which means that if you're charging it you're probably trying to kill it and nothing else Mm. um so or or maybe just trying to prevent i mean like you know when you charge it you're running the risk of getting overwatched by it as well so yes definitely putting the fly keyword on a model that's this big and durable and has the firepower that a ghost kill has is actually like it's pretty it's pretty strong um i think that like that is definitely a motif of the tau in general their battle suits all have that flexibility that speed and the fly keyword allows them to get out of situations like that but it also just changes the nature of like would you even charge it um and i think that that in itself is like a tactic of the unit because that's baked into it um and then you have to be conscious obviously of uh you know elite or melee based uh units because it will get chewed through yeah, um, I mean, like, if, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, as long as you know what your opponent's units are capable of, then you can definitely use it to your advantage. Right. Like, you wouldn't. What I what I mean to say is, you you would never be worried about the opponent. Like, the opponent would have to have something like Death Company with Thunderhammers or something for yeah. you to be like, oh, this could this could be the end of the ghost kill because if they're just throwing a unit at you for the sake of getting into combat that mm-hmm. doesn't matter it has to be like a dedicated thing like melee killing unit yeah. um so i think that you know that's definitely like you said just be conscious of that but i think that gives the ghost kill so much flexibility as far as like the way you can make it survive on the field and you can make it be an aggressive forward unit and mm-hmm. many many in many scenarios you you never are like if i get too close i'm gonna it's gonna die like yeah. unless the enemy has dedicated like heavy melee killing units it's mm-hmm. it's just not that much of a concern yeah. so 
Um, I think there's only been a couple of units where I've kind of I, I've I've been caught out by them, and um, it's it, it's you know, but um, you know, it's kind of a very sharp lesson learned. But mm. you know, for the most time, yeah, anything goes into it. You know, you don't have to hugely worry about it. I mean, yeah, it will take a load of knocks, but by and large, yeah, you can get it out of dodge, and you know, hopefully, you know, either that or just you know, throw it away and use it to reposition the rest of your forces just so when it has chewed through that unit you can just uh blast it to death <laughs> yeah exactly it's just, so, and you can so with the load with the loadout on the ghost kill you can sort of hyper focus them to be either one thing or the other because i feel like their their two big guns are so different in their performance yeah um so i think you've said before you're more a fan of the um the uh, cyclic ion raker than the yeah. fusion collider yeah yeah completely uh for me i just um don't get me wrong fusion is always amazing but um it's just, it's just the d3 um it's kind of one of those um i find that with a lot of uh d whatever it is attacks is uh you know it looks great on paper mm -hmm. but if you roll like me, then a lot of the time you're spending a lot of money on essentially just an extra fusion shot. While with the Cyclic Iron Raker, you got a standard extra six shots. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have the punch that, you know, obviously fusion does, uh, AP minus four and D6 damage. But right. the Iron Raker has a bit more versatility there, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, how I like to fill them is with two fusion blasters. So it does have the fusion there anyway. Um, yep. And then um, with the Iron Raker, you can chew through, um, you know, heavy units uh, quite well with, with a strength seven, AP minus one and one damage. Yep. You overcharge it. And obviously you never do that without a bit of marker light support. So you can reroll the ones anyway. Right. So you can avoid, um, unless you snake eyes it, kind of, you know, the, the, the taking the mortal wound. Mm -hmm. um, but then kind of, you know, you're then talking about six strength, eight AP minus one D3 sh damage. Yeah. Uh, you couple that with the ATS, it's AP minus two, which I think yeah. it tends to be the sweet spot for AP minus anyway, um, because a lot of the AP minus four stuff that you really want to chuck at it, um, I mean, like a lot of things, they tend to have an involved save anyway. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so um, I find the AP minus two, it just, you know, I mean, once you get to that point beyond, if they got an involved, they're going to take it on the involved. Uh, mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter, but at least you're getting the D3 wounds um, kind of, you know, or damage uh, yeah. for each of those strength six shots. So you can reliably, you know, on the law of averages, if you get all six shots go through, then you know i mean you can be talking about you know quite easily uh six it's like it's about probably about eight damage yeah uh, and so yeah you you're almost neutering a tank uh with just that alone let alone with um you know if you've got the correct marker light support and all that jazz yeah on. um you know so I, I i think there's for me that's just the more reliable way and mm -hmm. uh, with the support systems it's always the ats and the because I run them kind of, you know, up ahead in the, you know, in the forward ranks, uh, I tend to like to put them um, with the uh, target lock as well, so they can move in advance. Yeah. Uh, so again, you're, you're utilizing that mobility so they don't suffer for moving with a heavy weapon. Um, right. 
because obviously the fusion collider or the cyclic iron raker is heavy and you know you want them to move around you want them to be that extra unit to harry um whatever is coming at you um so i think without that you're kind of missing a trick maybe Mm -hmm. Uh, however i have heard the kind of again it's like one of those things you put with with the minus two to hit getting it in cover if you chuck a shield generator on it (laughs) yeah you know it could be a bit of a ninja um you know just never taking damage (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah so my my loadout is is kind of uh in the other direction i i totally agree based on luck the fusion collider almost always lets me down but um i still take it uh and i put fusion uh blasters on the shoulders and i give it target lock and a shield generator um so basically the hope is just that you know if you get really lucky you could just melt the tank in a single round of shooting mm-hmm. but um the chances are that won't happen but i do feel like when i if i were to put the cyclic ion raker on there i would definitely want ats and yeah. i also definitely would want target lock on a ghost kill just always yeah. so i think that being unable to then also put a shield generator is part of why i made that choice i just really like having that four up invuln on there because the ghost kill already to me its main value is just being incredibly annoying um for the enemy to try to kill so when you put a four up invuln on top of it it's like really frustrating um for the enemy Mm -hmm. uh at least it can be um I, I agree. I think uh, doing it that way, it can definitely um, it can upset someone's day, and it almost it becomes a it becomes a red flag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like I can't kill this thing. Yeah, uh, and that's that's the other thing too is that like uh, for me, taking all that fusion actually ends up being more of a a mind game than an actual battlefield effective thing Hmm. um where it makes it so that the enemy is like i know that it could just do nothing but the fact all of that melta basically i need to deal with it Hmm. um i i often feel like that's the case whereas like i think the cyclic ion raker like scares people less Mm -hmm. um just because that low ap and everything but it's not I don't think that the fusion collider is a better gun. I just think that based on the, the way that I play and the games that I've played, it mm. always happens that the person playing against them is like, Oh my God, that's so much D six damage. I need to, yeah. I need to deal with the ghost kill. Yeah. It becomes more of a threat if it's uh, more fusion. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but the threat is definitely on paper on it. But yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, I mean, it's a threatening unit regardless, um, yep. which is again why I love it so. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful unit. I mean, for something that has that much uh, sort of, you know, the minus two to hit, in addition to being a toughness six ten wound model with a three up save, that's that's all day. I mean, that's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just and that's before you do the ablators with the shield drones and exactly. Everything. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, it's 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 just a fan. It's a fantastic unit, and I'd say I'd go on paper just to say it's uh, you know, for me, except for the XV8, it's like 
I know it's kind of the new kid on the block in comparison, but I'd sure. say it's definitely turning to me as one of the iconic, um, like if not one of the, yeah, it, it's it's up there with one of the most iconic units for um, the Tau Empire. And yep. it's just, you know, it's it's something kind of, you know, just, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I love it. I absolutely love the kit too. Like you said, it's it's one of the best things I think GW's done is that ghost kill kit. It's yeah it's, it's so poseable as well uh yeah yeah it's uh you know yeah that's just everything about it it's just beautiful um yeah so cockpit open or cockpit closed for you um so i actually left my cockpit unglued so it can be opened i have it closed like when i'm playing with it but i've always had this sort of intention of going back and doing something interesting with it opening up and stuff i i've never finished the idea but i i'm always of this like um sort of paralyzed mind of like oh i want things both ways um and then i end up not doing anything um, <laughs> so it's sort of how i'm working on this uh abaddon model right now it's like cape on or cape off it's it's so mm -hmm. hard for me to decide um, <laughs> but uh yeah sometimes it's just like yeah you need to i mean for me uh again it's a testament to the beauty of the kit because um it doesn't fall apart on me um i've done like you i've uh left the hinge bit unglued yep. uh, um so basically and then what i've done is i've magnetized the helmet uh to oh the nice bulbous novel bit so i can basically do either yeah that's um, awesome and, um and yeah so it's just like one bit of magnet for the actual helmet part of itself uh, take that off and then just flip it open and it's all painted up and you know uh so again mostly when i filled it on the on the on the table it's always closed with a you know the helmet on but then kind of you know you can take it off and just have the cockpit open and it's 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 nice to have that there yeah. um it's just kind of you know a little bit more fluff and flavor to it to, to what's already a, a beautiful looking unit yeah for sure um you so you basically did what i want to do in the long run but i just haven't gotten around to it um i'll say i'll send I, and hopefully it'll it'll yeah yeah after, after project watch captain yeah that's yeah so in a couple of years yeah um, <laughs> um yeah the uh speaking of the ghost kill pilot thing i remember seeing a convert i i'm sorry i can't give credit to whoever did this but i saw an amazing ghost kill conversion uh it looked like maybe a golden demon entry or something mm -hmm. uh but it was like a it was a ghost kill suit the cockpit was fully opened and the pilot was like standing on the arm of the ghost keel like oh, that's the one yeah um, yeah i don't know who did it either so but whoever it was was yeah it's a genius yeah uh, absolutely genius yeah yeah it's so cool it's, yeah looks like a total badass kind of just like standing <laughs> out there and kind of you know just like yep about to pop in and kick some ass <laughs> yeah and the, and you know the nature of ghost kill pilots they're they're like these lone wolves that sort of they're in such isolation that they sort of even develop relationships with like the AI uh, components of their cockpit system um, because like they don't have any anyone else. Uh, I love it just makes him seem so much more badass even to just be like this yeah. this guy out in in nowheresville because he has he's not with an army. He's like some sort of forward uh, detachment on his own. 
yeah. just surveying and stuff. It's just so cool to me. They are the Chuck Norrises of the, the <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah the imperium has fly marbo but the tau have the ghost scale. <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's that's pretty good coverage i would say of the ghost kill um and that brings us to the last entry and definitely one of the most popular elites choices i would say in the tau army which is the riptide battle suit yeah this is a this is a biggie uh, and one that's caught a lot of flack over the years mm-hmm. uh, uh to be fair, um, part of it was GW's fault. Um, I, re- I remember back in the day, even before the detachment thing was a thing, yeah. um, people not really reading the fluff or not playing to the fluff. And despite the fact that these are supposed to be these super rare things, um, I remember, uh, yeah, just playing um, or sitting, seeing people in my local uh, gaming club and um like 2000 sorry 1850 points back in those days was like you know what the 2000 points was uh now and it yep. was uh yeah they'd be taking like you know three to five riptides and you're just thinking God, you're not really here to make any friends are you <laughs> like, yeah you are that guy uh it's like wow uh, yeah yeah it's uh yeah, but I mean, I can understand why you, you would do it because, again, it's it it is one of those stunning looking models. Um, oh yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and again, with a little bit of play, so poseable, uh, very commanding on the battlefield, and um, and obviously, while everyone just thought they were complete completely new to, to high heaven. Um, in eighth, I think kind of you know their price point and what they can do. I think they're completely worth it. Uh, I think they're so good right now. Yeah. Um, and it's, and again, I think kind of um, with the, with the stratagems that are in play, because you only ever do the stratagems for once, uh, once a turn. So, you know, if you take more, if you take multiple riptides, mm-hmm. you're relying on firepower alone and not the strats that go with it. Yep. Um, which, you know, again is, you know, has a use case, but um I just, I, I just like what they do. They just, yeah. I've had, I've had so many fun little episodes where you know, even in seventh, my Riptide has just outperformed himself uh, with things he had no business doing. Um, <laughs> uh, mostly in Overwatch. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, just uh, I, one day I will get around to finishing uh, painting the honor markings on my Riptide. And he's got like uh, he's got at least a dozen dreadnought kills to his name. Uh, oh, so awesome! <laughs> and and like I'd say all bar about no, no, let me think about this one. Yeah, all bar three of them are in Overwatch. Um, <laughs> it just just because I've always run him as uh, initially as Ovesa, so it would be the um, kind of you know the ion ion accelerator and yep. you know fusion and the amount of times I've just one shot a dreadnought um, in the face. Um, oh, God, um, in Overwatch, um, in seventh edition was just hilarious. Um, <laughs> um, so much fun. Um, but yeah, um, that's enough for me kind of like fanboying. So, I mean, w- w- what do you think about them? So, I love the Riptide, and I think you are one of the people that I've spoken to most often about how frustrating it is to see them abused as far as like how how often we see them Mm -hmm. um 
there there really should never be that many riptides in an army and i think the idea even of the riptide wing is counterintuitive to how many we should see mm. um the the riptide is a thing of extreme rarity it takes extreme resources to create the nova uh generator is mm. an an incredibly hard to make thing mm. um the you know volatile piece of equipment as well uh yeah you know it's just uh it's like it's uh it's kind of silly to me given that that we could then have as many commanders in a battle as we want or only one commander but as many riptides as we want like it almost feels like it should be the other way around hmm. um but that being said um i don't need to see more commanders per detachment that doesn't that rule didn't bother me. A lot of people got up in arms about that. Yeah, um, but I mean, uh, on the advent of eighth, it was it was an obvious flaw. Uh, I mean, I've played it with Commander Spam once, um, yeah. but that was in the days where it just came out, and that was against a, it was a test game with an opponent who was about to go to the uh, uh, Games Workshop GT, um, mm -hmm. and taking like the the latest broken with uh zinch demons and um the forge world um alphabet soup um uh demon yeah. as well uh with all the super brokenness um and um yeah like even my tau commander spam um wasn't um really cutting against uh that list but um yeah. it, it does but that's just i'm not necessarily best player i mean don't get me wrong i'm I'm not tournament winning so uh <laughs> but you know i mean i like to yeah, I, I don't do badly for myself but i don't do i, I don't do amazing uh, <laughs> um but yeah no it's uh commander spam anyway that's a thing on its own but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 fine with there only being one per detachment yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't stop you then still being able to take like two or three if you really wanted to go that exactly. way and yeah. um you know yeah, it's 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 a nice middle ground. Yeah, I think it's fine. I, I really am not bothered by it. Um, so anyway, though, back to the Riptide. I just think we see way, way, way too many of them per army. Um, I think in general, I I own one, and I only I run it pretty regularly, but I only run the one. Um, mm -hmm. And I sort of have said to myself that I won't get another uh, just because of the nature of Riptides. It doesn't make sense to me that I would have hmm. multiple, that I, my army would have access to multiple Riptides. Yeah. And um, I salute you for that choice. Because <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I only had one. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had thoughts about buying another one, but mm -hmm. only, only in as much as I like the kit that much. I'd love to do one, um, and you know, with a completely different pose that kind of you just don't tend to see. Yeah. Uh, if, if I was going to do a second one, it would be strictly for modeling purposes, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that my, similarly to you, my Riptide has basically always like overperformed. Um, for his points value, it, from seventh edition into eighth edition. Um, there was a lull, I would say, between when 8th edition hit and when the Tau actually got their codex, mm -hmm. um, where the Riptide was underperforming a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think that the codex bumped them back up so hard that, once again, they're one of the most like efficient 
units in, in the army. Yeah. Um, as long as you're using them with the proper support, um, and by that I don't just mean three other Riptides, um, <laughs> <laughs> then I think that they're they're incredible because hmm. a Tau army so rarely has one priority target. There are so many th uh, sources of high threats um, that I feel like the Riptide, especially because his range is so extreme with his primary weapon, he doesn't have to be close. Um, you can you can move him back a bit, and he becomes maybe difficult to focus fire on. Yeah. Um, and I always run him with the Ion Accelerator. Um, I take one. I mean, I took. I've always taken one for the, the reasons I already listed, but taking one especially like you said works out in eighth edition because the stratagem for branch nova charge is a no-brainer and you want to use it every turn and to only be able to put it on one riptide would be really frustrating if yeah. i had more than one mm -hmm. so it's a perfect thing to take one and then always have branch nova charge going off and giving him that three up invuln and his his uh nova charge ion accelerator every turn yeah and um, there's so many other nice strats in the codex as well. I mean, you know, I mean, you don't want to be burning all your command points on branch and overcharge anyway. So, I mean, if right. you could, if, for example, you know, take uh, take it more, you know, do it more than once, like in a, in a narrative or an open game. Right. Um, it's kind of, you, you know, you, you, you kind of, you're not utilizing the codex so it's for this effect for me. Anyway. Yeah. I think, you know, there are a lot of other really good strats in that dex. Um, yep. I think it's, it's definitely a strong one. I would say that the Tau Codex has probably like one of the highest numbers of regularly useful stratagems of any codex. Mm. Um, there, there are just I can easily spend half a dozen every turn, and it's like not even a, you know batting an eyelash. It's just so easy to throw them away because Tau have a million useful strats every turn. Mm -hmm. um they not only have like generally useful ones like uplink marker light branch nova charge um there are a few others that are just like always useful but they mm -hmm. also have so many specific ones that are situational and awesome yeah. um they're just they're just they have such great like reactionary stratagems they have such great stratagems to maximize synergy with the army it's just they're they're great it's just, yeah. the stratagem section it's like one of the best sections of the tau codex i think Mm -hmm. um, no. So, but anyway, back to the Riptide specifically. Yeah. My loadout, preferred loadout, is two Fusion Blasters, Ion Accelerator. Um, I don't take any drones. I don't take any of those shielded missile drones. Although, I did make a list with with several of those in it once, yeah. and um, I am very interested by them. I think they're an interesting concept. But uh, in in general, I don't do that. Um, and then they for costly. they are costly. Yeah, that's the thing. They just they cost a lot. Um, but uh, in the case of f uh, support systems, I do target lock and um, uh, velocity tracker, like I had used on, uh, or like I had mentioned earlier. Um, mm. They're incredibly cheap, and um, there it's so often that i find myself shooting at something that has the fly keyword with my riptide yeah um i feel like it's just so worth it to just slap it on there mm -hmm. um in case you run into something like that they 
getting that plus one to hit in addition to all the other buffs Tau can get with their shooting, um, it's just crazy, especially with a gun as powerful as a Nova charged, overcharged ion accelerator. Yeah. Um, I mean, six shots that are strength nine, AP minus three, and a flat three damage. That's essentially a six shot LAS cannon. Yeah. Um, because it, three damage is like the average damage for a D6 weapon. Hmm. Um, it's just, cra- it's, that's crazy. Um, it's such a powerful gun. And it's so reliable with that flat three damage, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. And, you know, again, with correct support that isn't like extra riptides, it, um, you know, like, you know, with a, with a marker like support, it's, it, it, it makes it sing uh, yeah. so well. Um, uh, again, it's just, I love the fact that by itself it has a utility. It's, it's, it's a good anchor point for any towel list, regardless of whether you're gun shielded, uh, gun lining it, or you're kind of, you know, you're getting up in the opponent's grill. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, obviously with a branch Nova, your standard is always the, um, the Nova charge to gun type and, mm-hmm. uh, the Nova shield, uh, that three up in Vaughn sweetness. Um, oh, so good. Yeah. Um, that really just makes it so lovely and tanky. Um, yeah. Especially <laughs> but, if you're putting uh, it near an ethereal that has a uh, sense of mm-hmm. stone cast or something. Yeah. Uh, just makes them so durable. Yeah. I wouldn't know about that ethereal nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, no, it's fine. But I mean, another, I, I, I found myself even using the uh, Nova Boost regularly as well. Some uh, just, uh, and especially um, while the the whole fly keyword thing had a bit of a meh thing about it um yep. obviously the way the fly keyword now works in phases that aren't um the movement phase right. uh, you know it's uh you know it, it's made the nova boost usable again uh yeah. in the kind of you know if you are fairly surrounded and you are feeling chancy you can chuck in the nova boost knowing that you're going to get a load of opponents coming towards you and essentially just go nope and jump back a bit um, you know, obviously, you know, in my instance, you just tend to roll like snake eyes, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, you know, on average on a 2d6 kind of, you know, moving six inches further back kind of, you know, doesn't mean you then get charged instantly that phase. And, um, yeah. you know, with your, with your, with your average movement rate kind of, you know, being eight inches anyway, you can kind of out maneuver a lot of stuff regardless. Yeah. Um, yeah um i mean my my um i mean while i usually take mine as kind of an ovessa substitute anyway i mean um, i've i have magnetized mine yeah um and i have found that um despite that i i always love that iron accelerator that heavy burst cannon is just so tasty i know they're so they're both so good yeah, I mean, again, advanced targeting system, so AP minus two instead of one, um, but strength six, two damage, and then you're with the Nova charge, you're, it's heavy 18. 18 shots, yep. Yep. Um, it's like, yes, please. <laughs> uh, that, that whole unit of all boys or something is just like, and they're gone. <laughs> yep. yep. Nothing but a fine mist. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so good at that. I, I, <laughs> I don't really think there's a bad loadout to go on the Riptide. I think, um, mm. you know, maybe as boring as it is to say, I, I really do think the Riptide is like, so, you know, verging on auto-include territory. Mm. Um, 
and the model is beautiful. Like I don't, I, you know, as much as I don't like seeing people take a ton of them, I, I think that the Riptide is a gorgeous model and I can see why you would at least want several different ones to like for modeling and posing purposes for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just, they can do everything. I mean, you know, I put the two fusion on there because basically the Riptide, the way that I play, the Riptide very often ends up sort of backlining until the second half of the game. And mm -hmm. then I thrust it forward and it starts being really aggressive. Yeah. Um, and then that's when those two fusions suddenly become a huge problem for the enemy. Um, in addition to the Nova boost being an incredibly powerful tool. Yeah. Uh, if you're doing late game objective capping, there's just nothing better uh, than being able to fly forward, you know, the 12 inches that it can normally move and then also do the uh, Nova boost. Um, mm. It's just so fast. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, at that point, if it's more about objective capping than damage output, you can just do the boost and the um, three up invuln. And then there's just this meteor flying across the table that no one can kill. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, it's, I do love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say one thing I've also found just as an outside thing, because I mean, well, I, I, I do occasionally take the shielded missile drones just mm -hmm. when it's like a super fluffy game and I'm not being two points effective um, yep. or anything. Um, they never perform well for me, but every now and again, I like to do it. Um, yeah uh but one thing i've always well one thing i've tried out fairly recently and i do like to do is um if i know i'm gonna sink it back and not actually move it a hell of a lot um then yeah. one thing i quite like to do is tap it with the drone controller mm -hmm. um and again just slap some gun drones on there um yeah. And what, and again, with that Nova boost, kind of, you know, that like, like the same kind of strategy with that mid game, you kind of just want to jump it forwards just, to, you know, when you've kind of like whittled a bit stuff down, yep. um, jump it forward on the Nova boost, um, obviously, you know, have the, have the gun drones kind of, you know, marching up with it. So for a blatant, but then on top of that, then you've got a nice wall of strength five shots that you can, uh, you know, just, just bring up there with it as well. Yeah. Um, and again, just provides that little extra. I'm I'm all for the drone controllers. I just find you smatter them around yeah. the army, and at five points, your um, your you, any any drones you bring along are just become just super super effective because you don't have to limit them. You don't have to make them just ablative wounds for whatever unit you chuck them with to begin with. Um, right. you, then start to treat them really as their own uh, force in of itself and, you know, um, really utilize their eight inch movements to kind of, you know, jump stuff and perform walls or, uh, you know, act as a speed bump or, you know, um, basically use it to um, kind of force your enemy to, uh, you know, a certain part of the, of the, of the um, actual battle, battle yeah. grid. Um, it's, uh, it's just an extra kind of like a thing in your pocket i think when you kind of um, have that yeah oh, absolutely i think the drone controller is one of those like sort of ubiquitous uh useful things where like no matter what your build in your army i mean as long as you're taking drones period um it's it, it is so helpful to just 
put a smattering of them around. Um, and in my list, I, I have two, which I tend to just spread out so that I can, you know, my drones can sort of move around and they'll still be near something that has one. Mm. Um, and all my drones in my army are marker light drones. Uh, ah. So <laughs> it's just uh, basically almost all my... I mean, I, I feel like, you know, to really maximize Tau firepower, you you want to get those five marker lights on at least one big enemy target every turn. Yeah. Um, and if you can, you try to get it on a second one. Um, and I always try to build my armies with the intention of being able to get it on, on two units a turn. So um, I have like uh, 12 or 16 marker light drones in the army or something which isn't a ton but then i also have a fire blade um yeah i i have a fire blade i have um the uh you know access to the uplink marker light and i also play Cecia, so i have access to their specialist stratagem too where i can just blanket an area in marker lights so um i think that I have enough typically to be able to sort of fully light up two enemy units. And at the same time, drones just have so much unique utility. Yeah. Um, that's another episode. I mean, you know, talking about drones, they're fast attack, but, yeah. um, I, this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, slash, slash party covered in this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that they, they coincide though, you know, it's worth, and, and I think this is, this is in part the complexity and the coolness about the Tau Codex mm. is that it, it makes sense to talk about many other things whenever you talk about a, one thing. Yeah. So um, because of the way the book synergizes so strongly, it's like, well, you kind of have to talk about what drones can do if you're talking about what makes another unit good. Yeah. Um, and I think that what makes drones so awesome in like the most general sense is that they're, especially marker light drones, is that despite marker lights being a heavy weapon, they ignore the penalty for moving and firing. And with an eight inch move and the fly keyword, they can like keep up with your other battle suits. Mm -hmm. So um, there's just so much inherent mobility in an army that's based around battle suits and drones. Yeah. Um, and it's so unique to the Tau. I can't think of another army that moves around as much as the Tau and still is an army based on durability and firepower. Mm. Um, just yeah. really cool. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, they're not the fastest. Um, I mean, not now anyway. I mean, in right. sevens, they were super great with jump, shoot, jump. Um, with it being all jet. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 those were the housing days. I kind of understand why that was removed. And it does yeah. make the Tau play very differently in eighth. Uh, I do kind of wish there was just like a, a one or a two command point strategy um, that you can use. Um, uh, kind of, or, or, well, I know that there's kind of something you can use on a commander like with Vetra. Um, oh, uh, yeah, Vetra. Vetra, Vetra, Vetra but I wish there was something else as well for another type of suit there or something that kind of, you know, you could kind of utilize that a little bit. Like, I mean, like the, I, uh... Like the older fire and fade thing. Yeah, you know? like fire and fade. I was gonna say. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I think kind of a tower battle suit kind of deserves that, or at least one of them to get to play it once again, once ago. Yeah. Uh, but you know that, that that's a minor little detail, um, really. Yeah. Because I mean, army wide, you do have a lot of mobility, if not the speed. Um, right. And then, yeah, it's uh, it it makes it very lovely, unique thing to play. Yeah. 
And that's what I mean too, is the, is that it's less about like how far you can get and more about the fact that you can like traverse buildings, you can navigate terrain with effortless ease, just Mm. because like all these things have the fly keyword and they all have a move above six inches. So, Mm. you know, your army on average is moving at a higher speed and able to get pretty much anywhere. Um, and, you know, there are Tau armies that don't have to be built around battle suits, but that's definitely not something you see very often. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that people who are doing that are probably intentionally running with a theme that they know isn't, you know, playing to the strength of the Tau as much as it's just maybe something they want and is, right. you know, a gimmick or, or whatever. Well, they're, um, that, they're, that, they're that crude guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you can say you're a tau player quote-unquote who just plays crude um but uh yeah i mean like the tau i think the tau in general are they're they're this very unique combination of high mobility they're not you know it's kind of a compromise trifecta because they're not quite as fast as like the eldar um but they're faster than you know infantry heavy armies they're faster than like admech space marines imperial guard on average um they're not as you know maybe as universally durable as uh some of the hardiest armies but they're still hardier than like the lower tier and their damage output with their firepower is like you know pretty high tier Mm. um so I think that they're like reaching this really powerful sort of uh, triangulation of of uh, you know it's they're not quite at like the highest tier with a lot of what they can do, but they're so they're pretty good at a bunch of things, yeah. and um, that that's what makes them so strong. I think. Mm, agreed. No, I completely agree. Yeah, they're they're just so cool. I mean, like we, I think. Uh, you and I both obviously must have a love for like the aesthetic of the Tau. I think that's probably what drew us both to them in the first place. Okay. And yeah, they're so unique kind of to look at. Uh, I know that every army's got a unique look, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I mean, completely. It's um, there's there's something extra special about the way they look, and again, that's reflecting and acting on kind of how they work in the fluff and on the tabletop. I think how they were created. Um, was beautifully done um mm-hmm. you know despite the fact a lot of people just go oh they're new no fluff blah 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 i mean really there's a load of stuff out there that just people don't read <laughs> yeah absolutely and i think that they they started with a bunch like right out of the gate too like i was around when the tau were born as a as a faction and they came right out of the gate with like i think a pretty rich background for sure <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, unlike, um, I mean, I, again, maybe this will be another episode, like if we do the, like next one, we do a fluff one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for example, the counterpoint, because the Necrons came out at a very similar point. And yes. I think it was the same edition. Um, and, you know, the Necrons, um, they're in a great place now, fluff wise, I think. Mm-hmm. But you know they've they've had a rough old time of it. Um, yeah. with their entire background being retconned, like you know, uh, you know, I think twice now. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. one was kind of you know actually giving them a load of stuff and then it was kind of you know they the, the law writers kind of looked at it and went yeah we can't go anywhere with this and <laughs> you know start again <laughs> yeah um, which is horrific if you're a necron player to have to deal with that so yeah I- yeah, you had to really go through the mill, I think, law-wise to kind of, you know, just cope with that and still persevere with it. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but, you know, they, they, the Tau, I think, didn't really have that problem. There's been very little retconning, I would say, in their entire existence so far. And I think they came out of the gate strong uh, with the narrative background. Um you know, in that first Tau Codex, we already had the entire Damocles Crusade uh, mm. as like a story to draw upon, which is like that's more than the Necrons could say in uh, yeah. third edition for sure. No, exactly. Um, yeah, completely agree. And it's it is one of those things. It's uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's and I love the fact that you know we just the way that the lore is developed um with uh you know eighth edition with fourth year expansion and you know that whole arc um mm-hmm. the fact that kind of you know we're recent um you know uh, books um the you know the uh third of the uh, great commanders that have been put under cryo um you know chasseau Caïs is kind of out and about and alive in the galaxy yeah. Uh, um, you know, I mean, it's yeah. There's it's, it's 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 kind of an exciting time to see where it's going to go in the future. Yeah, uh, lawwise with them. Um, I think it's uh yeah, it's going to be it's, it's going to be a great one to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's there will be plenty more Tau talk, I think, coming because you and I are both very passionate about this army. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I can't wait to have you on again, but. I think for now we've covered our objective, which was to yeah. uh, talk about the elite's choices in the book. Yeah, I um, did because that I think that was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. I think kind of unless you want to make up some new elite choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just keep writing more elite's choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, definitely, I think one of the strongest. Uh, options for tau uh, some of their some of their strongest and most iconic options come from the elite slot um and uh it's been really cool to not only go over like the things that we both traditionally have loved and and embraced about those units but clearly we've discussed some things that we haven't really explored before and uh it's always fun to sort of learn something new as you're going through a book you've read a million times yeah and it's always nice to get a different player's perspective so uh, yes. uh yeah you give me a lot to think about it's, yeah uh, it's been quite and, nice so it's uh, yeah. to bring it into my future games yeah and 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 vice versa i i feel like it's there's always a benefit to speaking with someone um about the hobby that you've never spoken with before there's always more insight to, to glean yeah especially um, when they're as awesome as you yeah well i mean of course when when we're as awesome as one another uh it creates this sort of uh awesome vortex that is inescapable and uh creates unbelievable awesome things uh moving out into the uh galaxy spreading at light speed yeah you're just you're just spreading the awesome around yep that's all it is um (laughs) so um i hope you guys all enjoyed that uh noel thank you so much for joining me again my friend it's a pleasure my man always a pleasure um and uh i'm i'll be sure as long as you're available to have you on again real soon um and uh yeah i just uh 
I just love these talks. So if you guys have anything, oh, sorry, what's that? That's it, me too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you guys have anything that uh, you would like us to talk about in the future, please let us know in the Discord, which we are on. We're on Discord, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, everything. We're on everything. Um, so we would love to hear from you. We'd love to have you join us in this uh, sort of endless conversation we have going. And um, until next time, thank you. Stay awesome.